People not very happy with my song choice tonight, but that's Hooked on You by Sweet Sensation. It's uh, from the late 80s. It's a kind of music they called freestyle that was actually invented by Stevie B and enjoyed some popularity in the late 80s. And I probably would never have played something like that if I was not a teenager during those years. Anyway, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druffin Friends Show. Definitely a day I was hoping I would not be doing the radio because that means... I'm out of the main event, and it means I have not cashed in the main event. But here I am. So, I'll obviously be talking about that. Unlike last year, I'm not going to be doing an hour-long rant about my time at the main event, but I'll give you my feelings on how I did this year, what I could have done differently, and why I feel I busted. Let me give you the other parts of the agenda. Actually, before I get to that, I just want to do the usual intro to the show. First of all, if you want to call in, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55-775-372-8355. You can also reach me on the Mount Charleston line, 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. The Mount Charleston line, of course, being the old 70s rotary telephone that sits on top of Mount Charleston, which is a mountain very close to Las Vegas. If you want to text me during the show, take down this number, and if you forget it, you can always go to the thread on the Flying Stupidity Forum for this radio show and see the phone number right there. This is the text-only phone number. Do not call it. I have people trying to call this phone number during the show. You're not going to get through to me. This is only for text, the number I'm going to give you right now. 702-623-1423. Once again, the text-only phone number, 702-623-1423. Also, you can go into the chat room. You need an account on the Poker Fraud Alert form, and you need a flash-enabled device to chat with me in the chat room. I will try to read it as much as I can, but since I'm doing the show by myself, it will be tough. So I will miss a lot of what goes on in the chat room, but you can interact with the people in there, and I will see some things that you write to me there. But if you really want to get a hold of me, text is better. If you make an attempt to... Reach me on the telephone and I don't answer. Don't worry about it. All that means is that I'm in the middle of talking about something and don't want to answer the phone. Try back in 15 minutes or so or try back when I say I'm taking phone calls. Finally, we have a free roll tonight. Um, we have $45. Usually we have 50 but this week it's 45 The 45 comes from five different people. We really scrounged it up tonight. Richard Brody's Comb Over gave $5. Limp Donk Bingo gave $10. Fat Man 548 gave $5. I Am Greek donated $15. And finally, we have a $10 donation from a lurker on behalf of Kate. So thank you very much, lurker, and hello to Kate. I know you're listening tonight. So the prizes will be as follows. First place will be $25. Second place will be $12. Third place will be $8. 25, 12, and 8 are the prizes tonight for our $45 free roll. It takes place in the No Fraud Online Poker Room at 7.40 Pacific Time 
and it's no limit hold'em. You don't need any chips. You don't need any money. It's totally free in every way. You need a separate account there, and most importantly, if you want to qualify for the free money, you need a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum that's dated June 1st, 2013 or before. If you don't have an account on here, on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum dated June 1st, 2013 or before, you need to email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and I will give you a one-time and forever it's actually not really one time. It's a forever exception that you can qualify for the free roll, but you get that exception by convincing me that you have been listening to this show for at least three weeks, and the way you do that is by telling me things you've heard on the show that are not in the official show description. So make sure to do that before the free roll starts at 740, which is 35 minutes from right now. There is no late registration. Here's the agenda tonight, aside from the... World Series of Poker that I'll be talking about, uh, of my own. Uh, we have another Poker Fraud Alert member who is still alive in the event. hope he does well. That's Willie McFML. And uh, I'll mainly be talking about my main event because I'm the one who experienced it. Not very happy with it, as you might guess. The little one-for-one one drop. I don't remember if I brought this up last week or not, but I, I want to bring it up again because it's still being talked about. And I know one of the former host of the 2 Plus 2 PokerCast was pretty surprised to find out the situation with it, and I want to mention it again because I think what's being done is pretty bad. Not a scam, but just pretty bad. Daniel Coleman won the one-drop event, the big one for one-drop, for 15-point-something million dollars last week during this radio show. However, the bigger story is how he has shunned the media both when he won and since then. So, to give you my opinion on that. Well, usually I don't like to talk about forum stuff on the radio show. It's kind of two separate entities that take place on the same site. There's the radio show that takes place about once a week here and has pretty much its own audience. A lot of the radio show audience does not really read the forum, and when they do, it's only occasional, and most of them don't participate in the forum. Then we have the forum people, some of whom listen to the show and some don't. I don't usually like to talk about forum stuff on the show because it's going to be boring to the people who don't read the forum and to the general public who follows poker. It's also going to be boring. But tonight's an exception because we really had a lot of action on the forum and not necessarily in a good way for the last few days. Actually, the last week. A lot of it is my own doing. And I will talk about what's been going on there. Here are the uh, three forum topics. First of all, uh, just uh, quickly want to get out of the way that uh, UGA is the team who is a longtime member of this and other forums I've been part of. Uh, he is still in the hospital with a stroke. He's on my Facebook. And uh, he is able to move his left side a little bit now. For quite some time, he could not move the left side of his body at all. UGA is the team is only 42 years old, just like me. And I'm wishing him well. I know a lot of people here wish him well, and I'm glad he is improving some. I hope that sometime in the near future, UGA is a team will regain the entire usage of the left half of his body. The fact that some of it is coming back is a good sign. 
the main two forum topics I want to talk about. Tide, a.k.a. Judonk, a.k.a. Marty. He has returned to Poker Fraud Alert. He's actually back on the site with my permission and my blessing. I bet you didn't expect to hear that one coming, unless you've been watching the forum. But yeah, he's back. I decided to uh, give the whole thing another shot. He originally said he'd like to come back to post about his move to Mexico. He actually lives in Rosarito, Mexico now. And I said, okay, sure, go ahead and do it. And uh, now he's back. So hopefully it goes okay. (laughs) He definitely brings uh, a lot of attention to the forum, that's for sure. Oh. Well, we have another $5 for the free roll. I'm not sure if the person wants to take credit for it, so I won't say who it is yet, but someone sent 5 bucks for the free roll. And uh, that makes it an even 50. I thank that person. Now the prizes will be as follows. It'll still be 25, still be 12, still be 8, but fourth place will now get 5. So that fourth that $5 will go directly to fourth place. And uh you can send it on PayPal, by the way. This person's asking for my PayPal, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. And this comes from S Double, by the way. He gave me permission to say so. So thank you. So here is the agenda. Or I'm doing the agenda. Here's the rest of the agenda. Uh, I've talked in the last two shows about Michael Borovitz, a.k.a. PSU Mike1999, who turned out to be a scammer. And the real interesting part about it is that he was the one who reported a very unfortunate and kind of scamish situation going on at the Rio that you know he had no part in. He was actually a victim of that one. But he reported it to 2 plus 2. He reported it accurately, and yet he ended up being a scammer himself, not just a scammer, but a long-term career scammer who has a very, very bad gambling problem that is motivating these scams. Well, we've talked about that before, but what we haven't done before is have him on the show. So tonight, Michael Borovitz, PSU 1999, PSU Mike 1999, is going to come on this show at about uh, 9.15, and it's going to be one of the last things we do here. He will give his side of things. Now, he's not going to deny scamming, because he did scam. He admits he scammed, but we're going to hear why he did it and where he's going from here and why he wants you to believe he's not a bad person. Why am I having a scammer on this show called Poker Fraud Alert Radio? Well, because I want everyone who has talked about on this show, whether I talk about them positively or negatively, to have the opportunity to come on and either defend themselves or give their side of things. I don't think it's fair for me to just talk about someone and say, no, you can't come on here and give your side. I think that's crappy, even if the person is guilty. Hey, if Russ Hamilton wants to come on here and explain why he stole from everyone on UB, he is welcome to come on this show and do so. I don't think he will, but he's welcome to. Interesting development out of Nevada. It's possible that all the poker rooms in Nevada, all the online poker rooms, that is, will be merging into a single poker room. When I say a single poker room, I mean I mean a single poker network where you'll have all the same players 
on together. No longer will it be separate player pools. A player on Ultimate Poker will play against a player on WSOP.com. I actually think this is a good idea because I don't think separate rooms can support themselves right now in the state of Nevada. The Merge Network has removed its rake back. It's removed its VIP program. And not only that, if you have existing points that you could cash in, uh, you better do it quickly because they're going to take them all away. It's a pretty bad situation going on over there at Merge. I, I think they're circling the drain. I definitely would not deposit over there with the way things have been going. And I'll, I'll give you some reasons why I think that. Uh, if I have time, I'm a little bit short on time tonight, but if I have time, two editorials. Number one, Kev Math, who listened to this show, listens pretty regularly here, he was staked by Daniel Negranu and Daniel Alai and some other big-name players who just liked him. They said, hey, Kev Math's a good guy. Kev Math does so much for the poker community voluntarily. This guy does, if you read his Twitter, he is constantly tweeting a lot of interesting poker information. He's retweeting interesting articles, including ones that I write. He's tweeting just tournament updates and tournament facts and just anything you want to know about poker. It seems like Kev Math knows and he tweets it out. And, and everyone loves Kev Math. He's a nice guy. He's soft-spoken. He's not controversial. So some big-name players decided to get together and stake him for the main event. Nice gesture. So what's the problem? Why I have an editorial about this? Would you believe that someone actually wrote an editorial criticizing this, saying that Kev Math, despite all he does for the poker community and has never done anything wrong as far as we know, should not be staked? <laughs> yeah. So I'll talk about that and give you my opinion as to why that article is ludicrous. Uh, editorial number two, if we have time. Tried to get to this last week. I'll get to it eventually. I feel the World Series of Poker should be longer. I don't think it should be the current seven weeks that it is. I think it should be eight weeks, nine weeks, or ten weeks, and I think it needs to be in a bigger physical space. I think the players will like that better, and I think that Caesars will make a lot more money, and Lord knows they need it because that company is struggling big time. So I'll give you my little plan for that, which I doubt they will ever implement, but if they were smart, they would. So let's get started right here so we don't run out of time. I played the main event on day 1B. There's three first days, 1A, 1B, 1C. The middle one, 1B, was on Sunday, July 6th. I chose 1B because that's typically the softest day, in my opinion. I find that day 1A, which has the fewest number of entrants total, but I, I find that day 1A tends to have a higher concentration of pros, people who just want to get it out of the way and leave Vegas if they don't cash, or if they don't make day 2, not cash. Uh, day 1C is the most popular day, and for some reason, all the pros love day 1C. Most pros you'll speak to will say they're playing day 1C, or if there's four starting days, day 1D. They always want to play the last day. So even though there's more people overall, I still feel there's a higher concentration of pros. So again, I avoid it. So what does that leave me? That leaves me day 1B. So I chose day 1B. And for the last several years, I have gotten good first table draws. Good meaning that the players playing with me were not very good. There were a few awful players. There were a few mediocre players. There were a few okay players, a few decent players. But it, it was a good table. 
I was thrilled to have tables like I've had in 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013 as a first-day main event table. I thought those tables were very good for me, and I did well. Made day three all four years, almost cashed all four years, made 88th place in 2010. So here we are in 2014, did the same thing, and I ended up at a table that was quite tough. No name pros were at the table, nobody I recognized, but a lot of online guys, not necessarily even young online guys, I mean just kind of guys who you knew or even said they were tournament, like online tournament guys, and you could tell they were good, they knew what they were doing, this was not a soft table, and even the players that appeared to be somewhat casual players, you know, like the 60-year-old white guy you don't recognize, uh, even they weren't that bad. Even the worst player at the table, which was like an older guy there, an older white guy, even he wasn't bad. He just wasn't good. But uh, there was no one giving their money away there. There was no one who was dead money at that table. And there were a lot of good players. And I was just thinking, shit, how'd this happen? But okay, I'll make the best of it. Well, my first interesting hand that came up was, well, first I started losing. I just started losing every hand. So I, I immediately went down from 30K to 21K. Wasn't happy about that. But coming to the first break, I was on the big blind, final hand of the break, you know, till the break, and uh, a guy raises in early position, and I have pocket aces for the first time. I think, should I flat these? I go, no, I don't want to flat these. I'd rather three-bet this, and hopefully he'll re-raise me, and you know, we can get a lot of money in pre-flop, which is really where the value is with aces, is getting a lot of money in pre-flop, because you always know you're good. There's no question you want to get it all in with aces. Uh, post-flop, if you have aces unimproved, uh, you don't know if the other guy flopped a set, or maybe even two pair, or maybe even a straight in some cases or a flesh in some cases, you, you don't know if you're good. You don't want to shove all the money in. So that you can't make that much with aces post-flop in No Limit Hold'em in a deep event. And and if an ace flops and you flop top set, uh, the problem is there's a good chance your opponent has missed everything, or if they haven't missed, they have mostly missed, and they're probably not going to pay you much anyway. So you, you really want to get the money in pre with aces in a tournament like this. And there are people who will stack off with queens or kings, even the good players. There's some people who will do that. So I re-raised him. He just called. So I, I, I made it like a, the blinds were only uh, only 5,100. So he made it 250, I made it 800. Flop comes ace-queen three with two clubs. So I fire out 1,100. He calls. So at this point I'm thinking, okay, well, he's calling this guy is not a reckless player. I'm thinking he probably has an ace. He probably has either that or a flush draw. So the turn comes a five of diamonds, meaningless card. It made backdoor diamonds, but who cares? Uh, so two diamonds, two clubs on the board. I probably should have bet there and hoped he raised me. But I thought, okay, well, if he's got an ace, like ace 10 or something... He'll bet. I'm thinking he's going to bet because he's got either an ace or a flush draw. And if I check here, he'll think that I re-raised pre-flop with something like kings or jacks. Or maybe even tens. And if I check, he bets I fold. Especially if he's got a flush draw. 
And if he's got a flesh draw, then I can rope him in for something big, and he's not going to want to fold. So I checked, and he checked. I was like, God damn it. So then the river comes a jack. I'm thinking, that's crap. He's just going to scare him. You might think I had pocket jacks. So I fire out 4K. He sits and and thinks and thinks and thinks. Finally calls. I turn over aces. He says, fuck! 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 If you have this on in your house, by the way, and there's kids around, I apologize. That's what he did, though. He started yelling, fuck. So I'm thinking, why is he yelling, fuck? I mean... I didn't bat beat him. I was obviously ahead the whole way. Did he make like an awful call? Did he call with? Did he call me with uh, with tens or something? Like what did he do? So, his friend was standing right behind him because he was going to break, and the friend was waiting to go to break with him. And he says to the friend, "I had ace queen. I had ace queen. I could have lost a lot more, but it still pisses me off." He says. And at that point, I felt so stupid. I was like, damn it, if I just bet the turn, he would have popped me with the ace-queen. That would have repopped him. I don't know how much I would have gotten him out of him, but probably a lot. And when we got back from break, I talked to him about the hand. And he said, yeah, if you bet the turn, I would have raised you. <laughs> so, and, and he was being honest with me. So, I was already annoyed with that, even though I won the hand and was getting close to starting stack again. I'm not going to relive every hand, but I had another hand where I flopped an open-ended straight draw, made the straight, the nuts on the turn, and then on the river, the flush draw card hit. So I I was afraid to bet it because the guy was flatting everything I was betting like he had a flush. It turned out he had two pair. So I, I kept getting the feeling that I just, I, I was making huge hands and I wasn't getting much money out of them. Here I had a straight against top two pair and somehow didn't get that much. Here I had top set against top two, did not get that much. And, and I'm already just kind of feeling crappy. But at the same time, I'm not losing many hands anymore. And I'm slowly chipping up. Um, eventually, I bring myself over 50K. You start with 30, which is quite good. It's not great, but it's pretty good at that stage in the tournament after about, I don't know, six hours. So I, I get moved for the uh, final part of the day, the last four hours of the day, I get moved very shortly after dinner to another table. And I thought, oh, good. I get away from this tough table. Well, no, I get an even tougher table. I didn't recognize anyone there either except for Melissa Burr, who was to my right. And by her own admission, she's a limit player and doesn't even like no limit. And, you know, she's not a bad player, but she's not really hard to deal with, especially with her to my right, so... Uh, it's not like I said, oh my god, Melissa Burr, I'm so scared. But uh, at the same time, she's definitely not a fish. And everybody else at the table uh, knew what they were doing. And I had a lot of aggro people to my left, which was not good. So I would have actually ha- preferred to have someone like Melissa Burr, who was not super aggro, to my left. But instead, she was to my right, and I got the uh, the aggro kids to my left. And I'm going, ah, oh, I-, I can't catch a break with these table draws. But okay, I have good chips, no problem. Well, a little bit later, someone raises pre. A number of people call, you know, cold call, like call, 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 or something comes back to me in the big blind. I have king, seven of diamonds. I hate hands like king, seven of diamonds. I hate them in no limit hold'em. In limit, it's okay, but in no limit hold'em, I hate hands like king, seven of diamonds because 
you're never flopping a straight with that. Uh, you know, you're, you're always only making a one-card straight with it if you make a straight, uh, which isn't going to get you much money. If you're drawing to the flush, you never have the nuts, unless there's an ace on the board of that, of that suit. So you're always afraid you're up against the ace. And if you flop top pair, either with the king or the seven, you don't necessarily know you're good. So I thought, okay, well, uh, really what I'm looking to see here Either like flopping the flush or uh, flopping king seven low card. Well, guess what? The flop came king seven six. Great. That's what I wanted. So I checked the original razor bets. Folds to the button. The guy was like 55 years old, a white guy. He call, He raises, he doesn't call. I re-raise. Original Razor sits and thinks and thinks and throws his hand away, not very happy about it. The button calls. There's a flush draw, by the way, too, on the board. It's like two clubs, I think. Turn is an off-suited four. I fire out 12,000. This 55-year-old white guy raises me to 25,000. think, oh my god, he flopped his frickin' set of sixes. You know, 55-year-old white guy, flatting on the button, raising the king 7-6 two-club flop, the big check raise is made on him, he calls, and then when the safe card hits the turn, he pops it. Doesn't pop it super high, but pops it to where he kind of wants a call from me. He's He has me out-chipped, I realized that if I call this, I'm basically going to be calling all my chips off with top two against what I think is a set. So I laid it down. So I'm already kind of feeling irritated here. I'm already kind of in a bad mood. It just seems like every time I've got a big hand, it's just not panning out for me. Well, despite losing about half my stack there, I got it back against a spazzy Europe Europe player, a European player. I don't know where he's from in Europe, but uh, I had ace-queen. He had ace-king. The flop came ace-queen-x, and we got all our money in. He just like instantly shipped it with the ace-king. Not, not even a second thought. One of those type of guys. So I doubled back up to 50-something. So I'm feeling pretty good, except a few minutes later, I have ace-queen on the button. I raise, and this aggressive, tricky kid who must be an online player is in the big blind and re-raises me. And at this point, we're playing with antes, and I'm thinking, okay, he thinks I'm trying to steal the blinds and antes, which I'm not with ace-queen, but... He thinks that, so he's re-raising me. Now, I kind of want to four-bet him, but I said, nah, you know, I'll, I'll take the approach of just flatting this and then raising the flop if uh, it looks like we either both missed or if I hit. So the flop comes 3-3-2. Three, three, I think, okay, he probably missed. He fires 2,000, I raise it to 5,000, hoping he's going to just lay it down. 
He doesn't. He calls. I think shit. I just wasted five thousand. But okay, no big, no big deal. Five thousand is not that much. And uh, when I yeah, the tournament's this deep. Um, the turn is a queen of all things. Now actually giving me something. What I should have done was checked it back. Then it's easy to play. If I check it back when he checks to me, then he'll bet the river. I'll call. And I'll either win or lose. Maybe he has a monster. Maybe he has nothing. Maybe he has a pocket pair that's lower than than the queen. Maybe he also has ace-queen. Maybe he has king-queen. Instead, I bet. I bet 8,000. And he check-raised me to 22,000. I'm going, oh, God damn it. Like now, I kind of wanted to shove it in his face and say, "All right, you know, if you can beat Ace Queen, if you've got pocket twos by some miracle, or if you've got kings or aces, fine. Otherwise, I've got you." But I just had the strong feeling he had kings, and that he was looking to pop me on the turn. Now he, he thought a lot before popping me on the turn. Like he really was thinking of it, not like fake thinking. But I, I thought the reason he was thinking was probably because he may have worried that what if I had pocket twos? Why am I still firing into that queen given the action there if I had like a pocket pair like nines? Again, given our chip stacks, if if I think I had him out chip by like 10K, but I didn't want to shoot off everything but 10K with just ace-queen here. I, I just thought that I probably wasn't good. I could have been good. I could have been chopping, but I thought there was a fair chance he had kings or aces. In a... Lesser tournament, a tournament that's not as deep, I, I ship that in every time. In this one, no, I folded it. But okay, I still had 39K or so. Still okay. But I'm getting this feeling. I'm getting this feeling like everything is just not going right. Every time I make a hand, I have to either lay it down or I don't get full value out of it. I've just like shaken feeling that things just aren't really happening right for me. Well, not too long after that. That same spaz who doubled me up, who's raising a lot pre-flop, opened early with a you know, standard raise. I have queen eight suited on the button. So I said, all right, I'll try to hit something against this guy. I flatted the queen eight suited. One other guy came along for the ride, like in a small blind or something. The flop came eight eight three with two diamonds. I said, "Thank goodness, I finally got something. I'm not laying this one down." He bet. I raised, hoping to represent like a pocket pair or something, and have him, you know, make a move back on me, and I was going to shove it in his face. Small blind folded. This guy thought for a second and called. Turn a ten of diamonds. Not happy to see that. Now there's three diamonds. He suddenly bets out at me 6,800. Now let me tell you, I've seen this so many times in limit and no limit, especially in limit, which is what I've played more of. But I've seen this so many times where someone who is not acting like they have the flush draw, the second, the third card of the suit hits, they're firing out at me to try to trick me into thinking now they have the flush. And you know what I do? I don't buy it, and I raise them. 
every time. Unless it's someone who I think is really straightforward like that, like you know, an old man or something who I've seen play super straightforward the whole way, I'd respect that bet. But the spazzy Euro doing this, there's no way I would buy that. There is no way. And I would ship the stack in his face. And if he happens to, by some miracle, have the flesh, then oh well. But let me tell you, they almost never do. That's what I would usually do. That's not what I actually did. I was so shaken by all these other hands in such a short period of time, my mind was Swiss cheese. And I somehow talked myself into believing that I don't want to ship this in and either be facing a flush already or be facing a diamond draw and then have it hit on the river and I'm going to bust me and him at about the same stack. So, you know... Regardless of who had more than the other, I, I was going to be virtually busted or actually busted if I lost to him and we went all in. So I said, why not just wait till the river? He has to act first. So if a blank rolls off on the river or if by some miracle I improve to a full house, then I'll ship it on him. If a fourth diamond hits, then I fold. That was my thinking process. It was a stupid thinking process, but that was my thinking process. I started worrying about everything. What if he's got uh, king eight or ace eight? What if he's got uh, pocket 10s? Though it didn't make a lot of sense to me why he'd play 10s that way if he's got something that's pretty much unbeatable. Why would he want to run me off by betting out all of a sudden? But uh, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I'll just wait for the river. River comes out like a two of spades, like a total blank. Okay, good. He's going to bet. I'm going to raise him all in or maybe call him. I'll see what he bets. And uh, we'll be good. And he says, all in. All in. I asked for a count. Indeed, he actually has 25 in chips more than me. Not 2,500 or 25,000. 25 chips more than me. I couldn't believe this. He's going all in. He's really risking his entire tournament life. Is he really doing this with worse than Queen 8? He had to think if I'm raising him on the flop and then calling that turn. He, if, if he has to think there's a good chance I have an 8, at the very least, or a flush. So I think and think and think. I fold, and he shows me ace-king high. Uh, wrong sound effect. but No sound effect will do that one justice. He shows me ace-king high with the ace of diamonds. And I was just devastated. Because I, I knew it was something like that. I knew it was like either pocket aces with ace of diamonds, ace ten with the ace of diamonds, maybe pocket kings with the king of diamonds, but nothing that was beating me. I knew it. I knew it. And what I should have done was shipped it on him, and if I, for some miracle he had a flush, I still had ten outs. It's not even like I was drawing dead or drawing super thin. I still had almost a 25% chance of catching up. The only thing that would have really had me in huge trouble was was pocket 10s, and that was unlikely for him to have. I don't know what I was thinking. So that would have been like a 75k pot, and he would have busted Instead, I was left with about 25K. About two hands later, I had ace-10 suited, raised. 
An old guy in the small blind called. Flop came ace-10-5. He had pocket fives. I didn't have enough chips to be able to lay that one down, and that was that. Game over. What bothered me so much there was that I knew what to do and did not do it. It's something I've seen so many times before from all the hands I've played in poker. And I did not do it. And while having 75K near the end of day one is definitely not any kind of guarantee you're going to cash. In fact, I've had 75K the last three years and did not cash. In fact, at the end of day one, I had over 100K two years ago. It still would have been nice to have. A lot better than zero. So what I learned from this year, what I learned, most importantly, is if I'm feeling rattled, that I need to be aware that I'm feeling rattled. I need to say, hey, I'm not thinking straight right now. Take a second here and really think this out and not from the point of view of someone who's just running into big hands every time. Just forget that. Like, I got to talk myself down from these things when I'm in a series of, like, tough hands. I mean, I really had a lot of tough hands in a short period of time. This isn't an online tournament. This is a slow tournament where everybody takes it forever to act on each hand. You don't get many hands in in one day in these tournaments in the main event. So the fact that I had, like, five tough hands to play is, is unbelievable. But it's my fault. You know, it's my fault for that one that I didn't put him in on the turn and then win when he didn't hit his diamond on the river. So next year, I will uh, be more careful not to let that happen. It's still bothering me, though. Blue Odom saying in chat, Cliff's Druff lit $10,000 on fire. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess that's kind of what happened. And nobody had a piece of me there either. I paid for myself on that one. <sighs> I'm trying to even, like, not read main event updates because they're depressing me. But if there is one reason to read the updates, and no, it's not because Ivy's doing well. It's because Willie McFML from our forum is running deep, or at least fairly deep in the event right now. I don't know if he's still in. Let me take a look at his Twitter. He actually had 300K at one point on day two, which is excellent, but I know he lost some back. And, uh, oh, looks pretty good. I'm seeing a stack that he tweeted out about uh, two hours ago. It looks to me like it is about uh, 340K. Pretty good. Pretty good. Good luck to him. Pretty sure he's going to cash in this one. I shouldn't say sure, but a good good chance. And who knows how deep he can run. He's, he's got a nice stack at this point. Day three. Very good. So, honestly, good luck to him. I hope he does well. I met him during the series. He's a nice guy. And a good poster here. And... 
I'm sure Yeb Sites are rooting for him too. Okay, enough about the main event. If we have any real meaningful updates on Willie, I'll let you guys know. Um, the little one for one drop event at the World Series took place. And this is not the million dollar buy in. This is the $1,111 buy in where $111 of those dollars goes to the one drop charity. The one drop charity is a good charity. It's the charity that's run by Guy Le Liberté, the owner of Cirque du Soleil. It's a charity to provide clean drinking water to countries that do not have clean drinking water. That's a noble cause. I'm not going to question that. It's a fine charity. I I think it's nice that poker players want to enter this tournament knowing that 111 is being taken for the charity out of their buy-in. That's nice. Except uh, there's one little problem. You are donating $111 out of your $1,111 buy-in, and Caesars is donating zero. And you say, whoa, 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 whoa. They don't have to donate anything. They're donating their space. They're donating their employees. They don't have to donate money. No, 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 no. They're not donating anything. They are fully raking this event as if it's a $1,000 buy-in World Series event. They are raking this exactly the same as a $1,000 buy-in No Limit Hold'em event. Exactly the same. The only difference is, in addition to that, they're taking $111 off the top. Now, to show you how obnoxious that is, this is supposed to be a charity tournament and they are making a huge profit on it while the players donate all the money. So they make a huge profit, they donate zero, and the players donate everything. That is completely wrong. This should be a shared responsibility sort of thing at the very least. It would be nice with all the money they make on the World Series if they just don't charge any juice or maybe just charge the part of the juice that they give to the dealers for the tip. That would be the best, but at least charge like half juice so the players are not making a lot of money for your company when they're trying to do something from charity. Charity should never be about making a profit for a company. It just never should be. Now, someone on Twitter brought up the counterpoint say, saying, hey, well, I disagree. What about companies that say, buy our product and we'll donate... 10% of the proceeds to charity. How is this any different? They're obviously making money. And I say, no, that's different. That is very different because in that case, they are presumably donating part of their own profits. They're presumably pricing the item the same as if they would if it were not for charity. But that's just an added incentive to buy their product to where everyone wins. They make a sale. The charity gets 10%. You pay the same price you would have otherwise, but you know a charity is getting 10% of the money. So that's fine. What isn't fine is where a company holds not just a for-profit tournament, but a for-their-normal-profit tournament. They don't give a slight discount at all on their rake. They rake it normally, and then they make you, the player, contribute it. And guess what? You say, well, at least I can write off $111 on my taxes 
for a charitable donation. No, you cannot. This is actually their donation. So all those $111 they collected from each person, those can be written off by the Caesars Corporation, not the players. <laughs> it's not a laughing matter. It's, it's offensive. So if you like the One Drop charity, you can donate to it directly. If you like it and you think they deserve that 111 then go ahead and cut them a check for $111, and I guarantee they will be happy to take it. But do not play the one drop, the little one for one drop next year unless they change this policy because, number one, it's unethical what they're doing. They're making money off charity. And number two, they don't really disclose this except in the fine print. They're not doing anything fraudulent. They're not cheating anyone, but they're not making this clear. And almost everybody who plays doesn't understand this. They don't understand it's being raked normally and they're paying all the charity, and they can't write it off. So instead of playing that, just play a regular $1,000 tournament and donate the 111 yourself and write it off yourself next year. That's my advice unless they change the situation. All right. Daniel Coleman, last week when we had this show, he won the big one for one drop, the million dollar buy-in. And he did something that no one expected. He shunned the media. He did not even want to take a picture in front of that giant pile of money for media purposes. He didn't want to do an interview with ESPN. He was basically boycotting all kinds of media, all kinds of promotion of his win. Now, there are other rumors about him that he was a multi-accounter in the past, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to focus on that because uh, I haven't read anything that damning, and that's not really important. Uh, The important thing is why he did it. And there are some people patting him on the back and congratulating him for finally taking a stand against evil ESPN, who has been using us as poker players for free entertainment that they make money from. Think about it. We pay rake to enter these tournaments, and yet we get covered on TV, our play gets covered, our interviews get done, and we don't get a dime for it. They make all the money from it. How come they get money televising our tournament, and we don't get anything from it? In fact, we pay to be there. Can you imagine if you're watching the Dodgers, the Yankees play, and instead of all the players making money for you to watch them, they're actually paying you to watch them? I mean, it would be ridiculous. So, you might think, given that's the situation, that Daniel Coleman did a very noble thing, that instead of promoting himself this way and using the opportunity to make a name for himself, he said, F you, I'm not doing these interviews. How could I possibly criticize that as a poker player? How could I possibly criticize someone who took a stand against that? Well, it's because he didn't take a stand against it. He took a stand against something else, And something else that just perplexes me. The people who say that he was taking a stand against ESPN did not read or did not carefully read his statement. So I'm going to read you Daniel Coleman's statement that he made afterwards on 2 Plus 2 regarding his situation of why he uh, did not give any kind of uh, interview or do anything else. He reluctantly took a picture in front of the money, but that was it. This is what Daniel Coleman said. This is on uh, July 2nd. 
I really don't owe anyone an explanation, but I'll give one. First off, I don't owe poker a single thing. That's already starting off pretty bad. I don't owe poker a single thing. Wow. Alrighty. <laughs> Alrighty guy has a chip on his shoulder here. I've been fortunate enough to benefit financially from this game, but I have played it long enough to see the ugly side of this world. It's not a game where pros are always happy and living a fulfilling life. That part's true. To have a job where you're at the mercy of variants can be insanely stressful and can lead to a lot of unhealthy habits. I would never in a million years recommend for someone to try and make it as a poker pro. Now, this part's fine. This this is good. He's saying, I, I feel that poker pros are, are glamorized too much and the downside to being a pro sometimes isn't covered. Okay, it's reasonable. Anyone who's been a poker pro can agree with what he just said. But then he goes on to say this. It is also not a game where the amateurs are always happy to be losing their money for the sake of entertainment. The losers lose way too much money in this game. The winners are win- then the winners are winning. A lot of this is money they can't afford to lose. This is fine, of course, because if someone is dumb enough to gamble with money they can't afford to lose, that's their problem. I'm not really buying into that, though. In a perfect world, markets are based on informed consumers making rational transactions. In reality, sadly, that's not the case. Markets are based on advertising trying to play on people's impulses and targeting their weaknesses in order for them to make irrational decisions. I get if someone wants to go and play poker on their own free will, but I don't agree with gambling being advertised just like I don't agree with cigarettes and alcohol being advertised. So this is where I have a problem right here. He's basically saying... Poker's not an ethical game because people are playing it with the uh, belief that they're going to come away with big winnings. It's, it's, it's promoted too much, and it makes people want to come play when they really shouldn't, and they lose money that they really shouldn't be losing, and that makes me feel bad. I don't like that. I think that's, that's a bad thing, and uh, I don't want to be part of that. And you know what? If you're just regular average Joe citizen, if you have nothing to do with poker and this is your answer as to why you don't want to play poker or be part of the poker community, I understand that. If you object to gambling, I understand that. If you don't want any part of poker because of this reason, I understand that. But you cannot say this when you have won millions of dollars prior to this. Forget the 15 point whatever million he won here, which I heard he only gets to keep about 10% of because he didn't have much of himself. But uh, he's won millions of dollars and he's 23 years old. He has more money than he made himself than just about every 23-year-old in the world. The only 23-year-olds who have more money than him typically are, are uh, either athletes or famous musicians or... Um, or people who inherited it in some way. But this guy is a self-made multimillionaire living in Costa Rica, living way better than every 23-year-old that uh, he probably knows, that any of us know, because people lost this money to him. Is he offering to give this money back? No. Is he going to analyze who he beat and give back the money to people who lost when they shouldn't have lost, lost more money than they should have been gambling or, or may have been playing because of the hype of the game. Mr. Coleman, the reason you have so much money is because of the advertising and the hype of the game. So you can't keep all the money and then get on your high horse about how you don't like the way you got it and then not give it back. So then he goes on to write, It bothers me that people care so much about poker's well-being. 
Well, why does that bother him? I mean, it's, uh, shouldn't poker players want the game to be in good shape? As poker is a game that has such a net negative effect on the people playing it, both financially and emotionally. Okay, Daniel, so again, why are you playing it? Why are you playing? Why, why, not, why don't you leave poker if it's so terrible? Why are you playing the biggest tournament that exists and then coming out and bashing poker when you win? As for promoting myself, I feel that individual achievement should rarely be celebrated. I am not going to take part in it for others, and I wouldn't want it for myself. If you wonder why our society is so infatuated by individuals and their success and being a baller, it is not, it is not that way for no reason. It's because it serves a clear purpose. If you get people to look up for someone and adhere for, quote, gain wealth, gain wealth but forget all but self motto, then you can get them to ignore the social contract, which is very good for power systems. I mean, this, this is a bunch of, uh, this really sounds like a bunch of progressive nonsense to me. From a, from a guy, this, this guy sounds like a limousine liberal to me, honestly. Also, it serves as a means of distraction to get people to not pay attention to the things that do matter. These are just my personal views, and yes, I realize I'm conflicted. Yeah, you think? I capitalize off this game that targets people's weaknesses. Exactly, so you understand how what a hypocrite you are. I do enjoy it. I love the strategy part of it, but I do see it as a very dark game. Uh, Mr. Daniel Coleman, how much of your winnings have you given away to charity? How much of your winnings have you returned to opponents that you knew were weaker than you and that knew did not, you knew did not understand that they were weaker opponents? How much money have you given back to them? Have you decided to quit poker for this reason? Why are you still playing and hating the game? Why are you still playing and criticizing the game? Now, if Coleman wrote an essay about ESPN and how we're basically working for them for free and he doesn't want to do that, great. He's right. And I'd say props to him. Props to him for giving away his own opportunity to promote himself and be on TV to take a stand against ESPN using us for free. That would be great. But he said not one word about ESPN or the media there in that way. He was just going after poker. He was bashing poker. You cannot bash the way you win money from poker when you support yourself winning money from poker. This would be like an NFL player refusing to give interviews to the media because he feels football is too violent or ruins young lives while at the same time is happy to cash his giant paycheck from his team. If you participate in it, if you make money from it, you can't criticize it. This just sounds like a guy who's kind of guilty for the way he makes his living, wants to keep the money, but wants to get on his high horse and look down on those of us that don't hate the game and don't feel guilty playing it. So that's what that's about. It's not about a rebellion against the media making us work for them for free. That I would support. All right. uh, I just got a a message from, (laughs) from Bobby Orr referring to Wally George. Whenever I make a comment about liberals, he always messages me something about Wally George. He knows a lot about Wally George for a Canadian. Mm-hmm. Wally George is like a Southern California conservative celebrity in the in the 80s. That's my feeling on Daniel Coleman. He's not a hero, not even close. <laughs> 
just a confused kid who's guilty about how he made his money, but not guilty enough to do anything about it. All right, let's talk about some forum stuff. First of all, again, I want to wish UGA is the team. I want to wish him a quick and full recovery from his stroke. And I'll tell you, it affects me when I hear of things like this. A guy who's the same age as me having a stroke. Or when I hear of someone the same age as me having a heart attack. Or even Chad Brown, who's nine years older than me, having cancer and dying. I mean, it's it's pretty uh, unnerving to realize you're getting to the age where these things can happen. Now, it's, it's also I could also live another 40 or 50 years and these things won't happen at all. I could even live 60 more years if I'm lucky. But you never know. Anyway, I hope he gets better. Um... Uh, there's a, an individual known as uh, Judonk, or Tide, or Marty. Marty's his real name. And he and I have had a seven-plus-year history, which, frankly, is not uh, very good. We, He showed up on the Neverwin Poker Forums, was bashing me immediately for a reason I don't even understand, and from there, we went back and forth a lot. And uh, we said a lot of bad things about each other, um, we did some bad things to each other. Uh, a lot of bad things happened. I, I'm not going to go into any kind of finger pointing or whatever, but we, we both gave it to each other. We we did. I didn't start it, I'll give you that one, but uh, we did both give it to each other. Before I talk about uh, Judonk, let me answer. Maybe there's even him, who knows. Call her on the air. Hey, Todd, it's Marty. Oh, it is Marty. Okay, well, okay, good. I might as well have you on the phone while I talk about you. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, he was off. He came to Poker Fraud Alerts when I first put it up, and, and I said, okay, you can come on. And, and it didn't last very long before we had another falling out, and he was gone. Uh, but uh, recently, Marty moved from Oregon to Rosarito, Mexico, in Baja, California. And uh, he sent me a message saying that he would like to post a story about why he moved and about the courts issue, the court system there that he's currently fighting with in Oregon. And uh, he wanted to post a Hall of Fame story about it. So I said, "All right, fine, uh, come on." And then he also wanted to post you know videos of his place in Mexico. So I said, "All right, sure." The forum's been kind of dead recently. Go ahead. So I, I let him back on, and uh, now he's ingrained uh, himself. In the forum, a very big part of it already in, in a short period of time. Uh, so, Marty, uh, first of all, can you tell me what happened there in Oregon? What made you leave Oregon and move to Rosarito, Mexico? You got a few minutes? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Um, and I'm, I appreciate you letting me tell the story. It's, it's just too laborious to write the whole thing up. And, uh, and I'm still waiting on a ruling. Otherwise, I'd... I'd unload in a big way, but um, I'm glad you asked me that. Okay, well, I was living in California. Um, I'll just start before I moved to Oregon. I was living up in California near Mount Lassen. I had a really beautiful house I was renting, gorgeous view. And uh, well, my landlord kicked me out because they he sold the property to someone that wanted to grow weed. So um, 
anyway, I just decided to relocate. I didn't want to go back to Sacramento. I and I kind of missed the ocean. I've been stuck up in the mountains for a year. And um, so I just kind of picked Oregon at random. I was living on a, in coast, southern Oregon on the coastal area near Coos Bay. And uh, it's really beautiful, but the weather fucking sucks. Um, anyway, let me back up. Um, basically what happened was on December, or excuse me, September 12th of last year, um, my mom was in town visiting. She came up from Sacramento and, and so we went out to dinner and I had a couple drinks and uh, I took her back to her hotel. She wasn't staying with me. She was staying at a local hotel. So anyway, what happened was I went to the store about 1030 at night to get some beer. I was going to get two beers just because I was tired. It was, you know, I had a couple drinks at dinner. I felt like two more beers. So there's a 7-Eleven there where these chicken shit cops sit outside the 7-Eleven with binoculars and they pull up license plate numbers. And I was the only one in the store. When I pulled out, they were right on me. And um, they didn't have a dashboard cam. They, I insisted on a dashboard cam. Immediately when the cop pulls up, he's like, oh, you know, I smell alcohol in your car. You know, it's amazing how cops have this extraordinary sense of smell, like this dog-like sense of smell for alcohol. So <clears throat> anyway, when I first got to this town, I was staying at this little uh, little weekly motel while I was looking for a place. And I was watching these cops night after night after night busting people, just pulling people over in the same spot they pulled me over in. And, you know, this is a town that's known as being a speed trap town. You know, you come rolling in on 101 doing, doing 60, and all of a sudden the speed limit's 30. Yeah. These cops are the biggest fucking chicken shits in the world. So anyway, um, so as soon as I got pulled over, I knew I was going to jail. I'm like, I fucking know it, no matter what. Well, hold on, and, hold on, hold on a second. Were you actually uh, drunk at the time by the legal limit? Well, I'll get to that. Okay. So, um, you know, I, I'd had a couple of drinks at dinner, and I, I went home, and um, I'd had one beer at home. That's why I went to the store. I mean, I, I wasn't even, it never even occurred to me not to go, not to get in my car. I lived a mile from the 7-Eleven. You know, it never even occurred to me. I mean, I know when I'm shit-faced and I shouldn't drive. I'm not that stupid, you know, but I've never had a DUI. I had a DUI when I was 17, okay? I'm almost 50, so I'm not a habitual dr uh, drunk driver. So anyway, long story short, um, when they put, when the guy calls for his backup, it's this rookie officer, and, uh, you know, as soon as they – he wanted me to get out of the car to submit a, a field test, and I said, I said, you know what? I said, let's just get this over with because I've seen you guys popping people in this spot for the last five weeks. And I'd seen them pull people over no less than a dozen times in the same spot that I got pulled over in. So I was already, I kind of already had an attitude about it. So um, I, I specifically asked him to get the whole field sobriety test on a dashboard cam. He's like, oh, we don't have a dashboard cam on our cruisers. Okay, great. So I go through all, all three of their tests. The, you know, I did the little nose thing, and then I had to walk a straight line, and I forget the last one. But anyway, after the last test, I kind of threw my hands up in the air like, okay, I just nailed all your tests. What now? So both of these guys who are, by the way, like six foot two, six three, fully armed police officers, and I'm wearing my shorts and my thongs. My got Winnie, I got Winnie in my car, my dog Winnie, and these guys fucking tackled me. They didn't even ask me kindly to put my hand behind wow. my my hands behind my back. They they just bull rushed me. They just tackled me and threw me to the ground. I had a big giant cut on my knee. I had um you know, they, they, I'm surprised they didn't tase me. They had me on the ground just, you know, and I'm screaming, I'm not resisting, I'm not resisting. Like, are you shitting me? You know, I'm not going to take on two fully armed officers a mile from my house. So, 
Um, anyway, long story short, um, they booked when they booked, took me to jail. Um, I, I, that's kind of when I got upset. I, when they put me in the back of the cruiser, I was basically starting to mouth off. I, I was casting out all kinds of insults. I was telling this cop that he was a little chicken shit and that his dad made him suck his dick and he got beat up in oh, high school. I'm like, well, you I, little fucking I, prick. I can't believe like, you said this. Let's, let's see how this ends up. I said, I said I'm warning you. This is not going to end well for you. So, because, uh, anyway, so they take me back to the, the um, they take me back to the station and, um, the first thing I asked for was my phone call. And he's like, who are you going to call? And I said, it's none of your fucking business who I'm going to call. Because he wanted to, he's like, are you going to call your attorney? I said, it doesn't matter who I'm going to call. I want my phone call right now. So uh, anyway, I, I submitted to these. Uh, first, then I asked for a blood test. I said, fuck your breathalyzer. I want a blood test. Get someone in here. Let's, let's draw a sample of my blood for, for your alcohol test. They couldn't do it. And he's basically saying, hey, if you don't, if you don't uh, agree to submit to this breath test right now, you're going to get charged. But why, this, Oregon, why do they say they can't do it? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Why do they I'm say sorry. They, go ahead. Why do they say they can't do a blood test? You say, well, because it's a little podunk town out in the middle of buttfuck oh, so Oregon. They're, they're, you're they, saying that they didn't have the ability to do it. Yeah, they didn't have the ability. They had okay. their little breathalyzer 8,000 or whatever they call it. So – um, so anyway, I kept, I kept, uh, initially I refused to take this breath test. Uh, I was saying, you know what? No, I, I want a blood test right now. This is bull- a bullshit stop in the first place. Oh, by the way, he said he pulled me over cause I didn't signal leaving, uh, leaving a seven 11 parking lot, which is bullshit. And I can prove it cause he didn't have a line of sight on my right turn signal. Those guys sit across the street on the left-hand side and he didn't have a line of sight. He couldn't even tell if I was signaling. The reason why he pulled me over is because he pulled up my license plate on his little computer. And by the way, the cops can pull up your, your license now on the computer. They don't even need to call into dispatch. They're, they're, they're out there sitting running plates, pulling up uh, license plates on binoculars. And I had all state insurance. I didn't make my payment two days before, and, they, and my insurance had lapsed. That's why they called me in the first place. They, they pulled me over in the first place because I had let my insurance lapse. So anyway, back to the breath so, test. So you're telling so, me that you were not in good hands that day? <laughs> yeah, you might say that. Okay, you go, might go, say ahead, that. go ahead. So, and by the way, this is what my mom is in town. I'm, she's supposed to go. I'm supposed to take her to Eugene the next day to fly back, and now I'm stuck in jail. So, um, before the breath test, you know, I just, like I said, they refused the the they, the cop says if I don't submit to the breath test right now, that he has to. It's a refusal to submit to a test, which has some pretty severe consequences, uh-huh. regardless of whether you blow your you you blow positive or not if you if you refuse a breath test it's basically like fucking yourself in court so i'm like all right let's blow so the first one didn't work the first one he says oh you didn't do it right the second one and i wasn't sitting there not blowing i was blowing into it he, he says oh we didn't get a we didn't get a proper reading on that one do it again so i did it again same thing he's saying you didn't get a good reading on me the third one he got the magic point the magic point oh eight exactly i was like I was literally exactly at point eight. So as soon as he took the reading, I was laughing. I'm like, yeah, good luck getting a conviction in court, asshole. Exactly point oh eight. Well, we're going to see how this ends up for you. So um, anyway, they booked me in the cell, and they brought my breakfast over, which I subsequently threw, threw back at them all over the <laughs> fucking wall. I was furious, Todd. I mean, I was mad. So um, they let me out of jail the next morning, and I immediately started calling around to attorneys. And one of these, one of these attorneys told me that, no matter what, I should request a hearing. And I, I know this story is a little bit drawn out, but I'll, I'm, I'm reaching a point here. So this uh, lawyer that I couldn't afford, he wants like 12 grand to represent me uh, defending it because obviously I'm going to plead not guilty. And he says, look, submit, 
submit a, a request uh, for a hearing with the DMV judge. Because in Oregon, if you sign that little form that says you blew .08, it's like a mandatory suspension of your license. So I said, okay, I requested the hearing. So um, about uh, what was it? Two weeks later, I had to drive down to this hearing. And incidentally, when I drove down to the hearing, I was fucking trashed. I was doing cocktails on the drive down just because I was just to make a point. I'm like, I'm going to go to this hearing fucking drunk. I had like three cocktails on the drive down. I don't so think I that's very hearing. wise, but okay. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, I don't think that's very wise, but go on, go on. And I know that's very irresponsible. I was just doing it out of personal protest. So anyway, I got to the hearing, and this judge, this was my first opportunity to read the, the police report. And the cops tell, you know, I read the police report. Of course, he included all the sexual slurs I made about his, his dad molesting him when he was a kid and how he was, you know, he, he got picked on in junior high school. He, he made all these posts, all those points in this police report. And when it got to me, I said, you know, on, my, on this guy's advice, I said, you know, I'm not, I don't really want to make a comment. I mean, I, by the advice of my counsel, I'm not going to comment. I just had a chance to read the police report. So, so I, I figured I'm screwed. You know, they're going to suspend my license before the court date. By the way, I had to drop almost three grand hiring an attorney just to fight this. And in Oregon, if you, if you plead, if you, even if you plead no contest, you're screwed. They're going to take your license for a year. A first-year conviction in, in Oregon for a DUI. They have some of the toughest laws in the country for DUI convictions. And if I pled guilty or no contest, or they want you to take this diversion program. And diversion is like where you agree to put a device on your car, and then you'd agree to um, you have to go to like drug and alcohol counseling, and it's a big pain in the ass. So, um, long story short, I'm get, I'm trying to get to this, but it's a long story. But um, Anyway, so about uh, two weeks later, I get this this uh, this letter from the DMV judge, and I figured it's just a formality. You know, they're going to suspend my license. Um, it's it's an automatic ninety day suspension if you sign that form. Well, what do you know? The the DMV judge threw out the breath test because the cop didn't give me my phone call before I blew. <clears throat> oh, that's a big no no. So now these assholes can't even use my breath test to try and get a conviction. Oh, I didn't mention they charged me with resisting arrest, too. Me. You've met me, Todd. I'm a small guy. Am I going to take on uh, two fully armed police officers? Well, I, I would think uh, not even not, Okay, let me tell you. Not even, a half, not even a half a mile from my house. Uh, hold on. This is what I think so far, okay? Um, it, the story's a little uh, perplexing to me. I agree that um, it wouldn't make sense for you to just, like, attack two big cops out of nowhere. Uh, but I, I do hear that you were agitated through a lot of this. So I, I, now at the same time, I know how a lot of small town cops are sometimes just because uh, they feel they can get away with it. And sometimes because they're actually under, under the direction of the mayor or the city council to rack up a lot of money for the town. Well, through, sure. Through well, sure. The town's broke. If you, if you drive down the main drag, there's a bunch of, uh, empty shops. The town is broke. That's the, the, the most successful business in town is the crematorium because all these <laughs> old fucks are dying. Well, and no, the yeah, cops that's, are just there to well people if, driving through town. If you drive between L.A. and Mammoth, you know, the ski town, you will pass through a lot of small towns in uh, eastern California that are, are just like this where they lower the speed limit from like 65 to literally like 20. And if you go right. 25, they pull you over. Now, right. and it's all about money. Now, that's not the cops' fault because the cops are actually told that's part of their job, and if they don't do it, they get fired. But at the same time, you right. also have some cops uh, that develop a, a power complex and an attitude, especially in a place like that where there's not much oversight. And oh, you my can God, have that you have no, you have no well. idea, Todd. And I'm not the first person to, to say that. Like I said, I, I moved to that little weekly place before I got an apartment, and the, the manager – 
even told me the first day I got there, watch out for the cops. And then I watched those guys busting people in the same spot I got busted in. And, and you said something that I, uh, which is a good point, that maybe I was a little combative out of the gate. But that doesn't excuse them from completely bull rushing me. They, they didn't say, uh, Marty, you're under arrest for suspicion of DUI. Please put your hands behind your back. No, fuck no. I was sta- One minute I'm standing there, the next minute they just, they just took me down. The resist arrest charge is complete horseshit. Yeah, you know what? I, 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 didn't I, I actually any, believe uh, you. I, I believe this story. I believe that they, you pro- they probably did just jump you, and, and maybe even they got a kick out of it. They do this to other people, and that's why you know, there's a lot of corrupt small-town cops. That's why like I see the chat room going crazy about this, too. In places like this, you really have to just be as nondescript and, and polite as possible as much. Even if it's completely BS, you can't argue because then they can make up stuff like this. And then no, you know what? No, happens. you know what? I disagree. I disagree. Fuck the cops. I, I'm not going to sit there and lay down and play play by their rules when they're just writing chicken shit revenue, uh, ch- chicken shit tickets to write revenue. And the whole and the whole reason why they pulled me over in the first place was for an insurance because uh, uh, my insurance had expired. Let me let me just wrap the story up because this gets better. Uh, so I pled not guilty in court. They put off the court date till April. I got arrested in September of last year, okay? So now I have to go wait to go to court in April. So the morning of my court date, I put some nice slacks on. I get all nice and cleaned up. I'm, I'm kind of pumped up to go to court. And then, oh, the prosecutor has a family emergency. We have to put this back another month. So then I, so I had to go back in May. And then in May when I went back, uh, this is where we filed a motion to, to uh, suppress based on the fact that, thank God, my attorney found the statute where – you have to, you're not mandated to signal leaving private property, especially when you don't have 150 feet to signal. He didn't have probable cause to pull me over, so that's my only recourse to, to get the case dismissed. So when, when we submitted the motion, the judge is like, okay, I'll let you know in a couple of weeks on the motion. They can't just let it go right there. The, you know, the prosecutor apparently is really gung-ho about prosecuting me because I was such a cocksucker to the cops. Oh, by the way. They also made a DVD of me. They started making a DVD, a recording of me, when I was in the back of the cruiser. That's when the officer told me, hey, I'm recording all this. Oh, you can record me after the arrest, but you can't re- record me while I'm submitting on my test. You know what I think? Uh, or to uh, your uh, field I, test. I, but I listen, think... then I got back to, the, then I got back to the, uh, the station, and they had it all on DVD. And I requested that DVD. You know why? Because it's hilarious. That shit will go on YouTube so fast it will make their head No, spin. I was about to say, you, and, should, you, should, you should obtain that DVD, and I bet you'd have a lot of people who'd want to purchase it here on PokerFarm. Give it up. I, I, they won't give it up. I put in a formal request. Those fuckers won't give it up. Yeah, it's like Marty, Marty's greatest hits. I think I'd buy that DVD. Also, also, I wrote the city manager and the mayor a letter, and I also went to the uh, two local newspapers wanting to write an editorial. I'm fucking furious about this. So, And that, another thing is that the judge says, oh, I'm going to rule on your motion uh, in two more weeks. That was three months ago or, or two, two and a half months ago. It's still not resolved. And then, so now that's why I said, finally, I said, fuck it. I'm out of here. Fuck these guys. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I didn't, I wanted to leave Oregon a long time ago. It's an awful, awful, cold, dark, horrible fucking place. I'm sorry I moved there. It's the weather's terrible nine, nine out of 10 days. I was suffering from chronic depression just because of the, it's raining and shitty all the time. Even in the summertime, it gets dark and nasty. I wanted out, but I, I, I played by their rules. You know, I paid for an attorney. I, I, I went to their court dates. I've done everything by the book. And that's what's so infuriating about this. And if they think I'm going to come back to Oregon to sit in their little gymnasium courtroom, they're out of their fucking mind. 
So, you know, the worst worst case scenario is now they try and fuck with my California license. There's no way they're going to get a conviction on this, especially since uh, especially since they they pulled me over with no probable cause and the fact that the, well, the breath test were thrown out. Are you expected to appear in court at any point, or are you done with that? I don't even have a scheduled court date, man. I'm waiting on the judge's ruling. I'm not going to say it was three months ago. Now, what, a, what if they come up with a court date? Are you going to go back to Oregon to uh, have your day in court? I don't know. It's you know, it's a DUI charge. It's not like I'm being charged with uh, murder or anything. I mean, the worst that, the worst that can happen is they try and mess with my California driver's license. Yeah, yeah, license. that is. I don't know. And I don't know. What, that's the, that's yeah, the only thing that I was they, worried about in the first place. I don't know how they handle you know? that these days. They're always changing that. I don't know if the a DUI in one state if it affects the other state. I I don't even know. But um, and I know it's some just, states handle it. There's a national database for the DMV, but the, see, that's the thing. The DMV already threw out my breath test. All I'm dealing with now is this little podunk municipality trying to get a, a conviction on a bullshit set-up bust. So, anyway, that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay, I'm so, thanks so now for you're in, uh, you're in uh, Rosarito, Mexico, and uh, uh, what are you doing there? Right now, I'm just uh, getting beat up on Poker Stars right now. <laughs> now if, um, if, if Poker Stars doesn't work out for you, and I, by the way, I've always had some skepticism about playing, going to a different country to play Poker Stars because you're missing a lot of American fish there. So it's you know, I, look, I didn't move here just to play poker. I, I moved here because I, I miss the weather. I like the beach. I want to live in a better climate, and the cost of living is really low. You know, and and I don't want to talk about what I do for a living or how I make money, but you know, I can I can basically make money with a cell phone and a and a, and a computer. So I just I needed a decent internet connection and and a, and a and a decent phone plan. Now, so is, uh, is the internet decent down there? Yeah, it's actually better than it was in Oregon. I have a much faster connection here than I did in in Oregon. So. Uh, yeah, it's not bad. There's a, and there's a bunch of guys that are um, there's a big Rosarito Skype group, uh, Skype chat. There's like 150 guys, all Americans that move down here to play poker. Now I know there's a guy in your building uh, who goes by uh, Body Goalie that actually posts yeah. on Poker Fraud Alert, and you said he li- he actually yeah. lives like right downstairs from you. Yeah, he lives right he lives right below me. Weird. <laughs> like, what were the chances that you would uh, go all the way to Rosarito from Oregon, and then the guy living right below you is uh, on Poker Fraud Alert? Well, the, the the funny thing is, is that my my rental agent told me he's like, hey, yeah, there's a poker player right below you. There's an American. He didn't even know I played poker. I'm like, really? So when I when I walk downstairs to introduce, introduce myself, he opens the door. He's like, he's like, no way. He's like the guy, like <laughs> he's like immediately recognized me. It was fucking. It was so funny. <laughs> no, he's cool. Bodig Bodigoli's a nice guy. He's he's been uh, he's been fun to hang out with. Okay, well, uh, so are you generally happy down there in in Mexico and Rotary? Rosary yeah, Rotary? it's it's nice. What's not to like? You've seen, you know, I mean, a cheap rent and uh, the food's great, and I love Latin girls. And um, you know, admittedly, I I blew a lot of money getting down here. I'm I'm not exactly flush with cash right now, but um, yeah, I'm 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 way happier. I feel like my life completely did a complete 180. I mean, I, I was miserable in Oregon. I, I was. And you can ask Mark or or Dish or any of those guys I talked to. I was absolutely miserable. Now, why is so, it? Uh, why was it so expensive to get down there? I mean, I know there was gas, but I mean, you're, you're only just you know like... just just gas and first and last and all the setup costs. Okay. You know, you can blow through two or three grand pretty easily. So, um, first and last and deposit and utilities and you know, it's not to mention four hundred bucks in gas getting down here. So, um, but the rent's cheap, and you know, I'm pretty happy. I mean, it's a nice place. 
it's not it's not Beverly Hills, but it's, it's you know, I mean, it, the place is furnished. It's got a great ocean view. I can't complain. You know. Now, so. do you find that you mentioned the uh, the senoritas down there? Do you find that the uh, the Mexican women are are more receptive to dating down there to? Uh, the actually, they seem women? actually they seem pretty standoffish. Really, you know, it's not like it's not like Brazil. I mean, well, I don't know. I don't I don't think they have a really. Maybe it's just me, but I, I don't see a lot of when I see a hot girl walking around. She doesn't. It's different. It's not like uh, you know. I've been to Brazil, and Brazil, the girls are they're just all over you. But well, here in Mexico, it doesn't seem like they're that. It doesn't seem like they're that eager to get hooked up with Americans. Well, I think it's because there's a lot of Mexican guys, not Mexican, there's a lot of American guys there in Rosarito right now. So I think uh, when they see, you know, the hot girls walking around, they don't just get excited by any American. If there's a lot of Americans there and there's a lot of Americans that are closer to their age than you are, they probably uh, prefer them is my guess. Well, there's a big language barrier. There's not, you know, even though I'm only 30 miles from San Diego, not a lot of people speak English and it's, it has been an adjustment. I mean, I'm trying to pick up a little Spanish. It's, the longer I'm here, the more I'll speak. But, I mean, I, I'm not exactly going to go out and learn Spanish. Or it, it, Let's just say there's not a lot of people that speak English. There's a definite language barrier. So, But that's cool. I mean, there's still – I live about a mile from a Walmart. There's a really nice Walmart and a Burger King and Applebee's. And um, so I haven't really injected myself into the culture yet. I mean, so – yeah. Trying well, to keep it. I don't want to get my. I don't want to get my head cut off by the cartel. Yeah. You know? All right. Well, yeah. Thank you for your call in here. I have a, a number of things to do tonight, and I have to cut off early. So. All right. Uh, thank you well, for calling for the, in, and uh, thank you for the update. So that was uh, Marty. He tied here. Let's take another call here. Caller, you're on the air. Hello. Yeah. Is this Marty? No, no, it's not Marty. Who's this? Oh, uh, this Gary. Wait, you're Hello? Gary? Are you Gary, or are you asking me if I'm Gary? I'm asking you if you're Gary. If I'm Gary? Gary, I don't know. I, I was listening to the radio show, and Marty and someone else were talking. Oh, no, my name is Todd, also known as Dan Druff. And who are you? Uh, but Brian. So, is Marty, oh, so, Marty, so Marty's not hosting it? No, no. Oh, okay. So I read a thread that said Marty and Gary were hosting it. I thought I, I just started listening to it. No, I no, thought no, that no. was no. No, I, you, the thread was incorrect. They're messing with you. Is this, uh, is this Hoser by any chance? Is that who it is? Excuse me? Is this F.U. Hoser? Yeah. Okay. Well, no, you just missed Marty by a oh, second. Oh, Todd? Yeah, it's Todd. I said Dan Druff. Like, who oh, else I recognize your voice. Yeah. Sorry. Okay, no problem. I was, yeah, I was going to talk to Marty for some, some LOLs, but... Uh... Well, you can go in the chat room. He's still there. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. All right, man, we'll have, have fun. Bye. Okay, thank you, Hoser. So it's Marty really brings the people out of the woodwork. We actually have the highest ratings tonight. I know Marty will be proud of this one. We have the highest ratings tonight live than we have had in a very long time. So I think it has to do with a few factors. One factor is what you just heard. And the second factor is what's coming up. Though it probably won't be as exciting as you're expecting. Um, There is a big brouhaha on the forum since I busted from the main event four days ago. Uh, basically, what happened was, uh, whenever I bust from the main event, I get just in kind of this weird mood, especially if I bust in a way where I, like, I'm unhappy with myself with how I played it. I get in this, like, odd mood where I'm not quite myself, and I, I'll sometimes do things that are out of character or uh, write in a way where I don't 
write like myself, it's kind of weird. Because I'm usually pretty consistent. But that's an exception. So let me give you a little background. Uh, this community started with a website called neverwinpoker.com. It was started to actually follow the budding poker career of Dustin Neverwin Wolf, but then it very quickly changed from that to become kind of like a, a free speech forum of uh, degenerates in the poker world, which was very rapidly expanding. It began in uh, 2004. I found it very early on because I played a lot with Neverwin on PokerStars. And he was like a rival of mine. So I became heavily involved with the site. As the years passed, I eventually became a mod of the site. And um, then I I was given a very tiny piece of ownership of it after it was sold to Poker News. And uh, And then the site shed the forum and the radio show and we split off to our own site called Donkdown. And then Two years after that, I left Donkdown myself, and I was off forums for six months. And I started Poker Fraud Alert six months after that in uh, March of 2012. Well, along the way, we're talking about ten years now, between the beginning of Neverwin Poker and now. Unfortunately, I, I picked up a number of enemies for various reasons. And I really say various reasons. Even Marty, who you just heard on here, had one point, in fact, at several points, was an enemy of mine, but thankfully uh, we're not like that anymore. Thankfully we're uh, on good terms now. But just you know, people for various reasons, they would troll me and then I'd fight back or they didn't like my attitude or they didn't like something I'd say or some opinion I'd present or uh, they didn't like something I did. There's, there was always a reason that they had why they didn't like me. And then we'd fight back and forth and then it would get worse and worse. And and the problem is on the internet, these things can escalate quickly because you're not there face to face and it's easy to say things that are really nasty to try to piss off the other person. And, and the, the big competition when you're doing these public messages back and forth is to try to get the neutral bystanders to laugh at what you're saying and laugh at the person you're fighting with and, and you know believe that you own them. So uh, this leads to a lot of one-upmanship this leads to basically, in some cases, doing anything you can to try to make that person upset. And sometimes it can go too far. Um, since I, I'm not a quitter, so I, I stick by things for a long time. It's hard to drive me away from anything. So even with a lot of the trolls out there, the people who didn't like me and all that, there were enough people that did like me to where I, I wanted to stick around. And as the years passed by, I, I just kind of picked up a number of enemies, kind of like the same way. Let's say you're single and you don't have a girlfriend for 10 years. You're probably going to end up having sex with a lot of women, not because you're a man whore, not because uh, you don't, you know, you only want one night stands. But just if, if you don't end up in a relationship just over 10 years, which is a long time, you're going to end up with a lot of women that you've slept with. Well, same thing. I ended up with a lot of internet enemies. <laughs> so so um, I'm not happy about that. So a lot of them knew each other from that same forum, from Never Win Poker. And Never Win Poker, uh, you know, in early 2009, it's, it spun off to another forum called Boris, where people who weren't happy with Never Win Poker went to Boris. 
And then, not surprisingly, a short time later, they weren't happy with Boris and moved on to another site called Scats. Well, the people on Scats were the same people who originally left Never Went Poker, and that's mainly the group of people who did not like me. And the ones who had not gotten over there when they heard that this is where the people who don't like me or don't like me and people who are friendly with me, that's where a lot of them went too. That's, that's simplifying the story, but that's, that's basically what happened. So they had a section of the site that was secret where you, you was invitation only. It was only if they were close to you and they trusted you and they would let you in there and you had the explicit agreement with them that you cannot ever reveal anything you saw going on in there. And that's fine. You know, I, I don't feel like I have to see everything or that uh, I have to read everyone's posts. And, and to be honest, I don't even care if people who don't like me are bashing me in private. Let them. I don't care. I, I know not everybody likes me. In fact, people who don't like me bash me in public, and that's fine, too. Um, the only thing I, I don't like, and the only thing I really take exception to, is when people start to do things that affect me in real life when it comes to trolling. So if you're just going to call me names, it's no big deal. But, you know, if you're going to bomb my forum or if you're going to post my name along with uh, a lot of derogatory and untrue things, you know, post messages Todd would tell us as a child molester or things like that, that's going to piss me off because, uh, you know, I, I don't want my name to be Googled and that being found when it's not true. Um or, or when people post pictures of my family or post info about my family. And the rest of my family doesn't use forums, so they shouldn't be part of this at all. But anyway, some of these people took it too far. And they had a little that little section of their site where they would talk about what they're going to do next. And about two years ago, when a lot of this was going on, I got conclusive information, 0% chance it was incorrect, that that was where it was all being planned, that all the family personal information that was being posted on the forums and and the um, other nasty stuff that's being done uh, was really originating from there. So I found a way, which I'm not going to explain how, but I found a way to get myself access to that secret forum. And, and for two years or so, I, I saw everything going on there. I saw all their little devious plans. I saw everything, but I couldn't say anything or they'd know I was there and that would be that. The the only way it would be valuable if I kept quiet. So uh, it was tough. It was one of the toughest things I had to do was keep quiet as I'm seeing these things being talked about. And I wondered, will there ever be be a day when I come forward and say, hey, I've been here the whole time. And guess what? I've seen everything you guys have revealed about yourselves. And I thought maybe, 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 sorry about that, maybe that day will never come. Maybe I'll just kind of sit here and hide for a while. Now, now don't get me wrong. I don't think it's my right to spy on people who want to have their little private internet social club and not include me. I would never do that. I I don't think that's right. Uh, But if it's a place where I know that things are being planned against me that are either illegal or unethical or just meant to harass me in real life or make my life miserable, of course I'm going to want to see it. And if you were in this spot, you would too. So anyway, um, there I went for a long time, watching all stuff and keeping quiet. So I busted from the main event on Sunday night. 
and I don't know what snapped in me, but I, I exposed everything. I, I just, I couldn't stay quiet any longer. I went on Poker Throttler and posted just everything that was on my mind. And I told them I'd been on their forum the whole time. I gave examples of things that I had seen when I was there. I called out people. The people who'd been anonymously trolling me for years, I actually named them first and last name and gave their whole story because they were all open about themselves in there and they would be anonymous elsewhere. So I, I really just dumped everything. Not everything. I dumped a lot of things. I also kept a lot to myself. I didn't want to shoot my whole load at once. Yeah, exactly. Be careful what you say or you give yourself away. Uh, Audrey, you won't live to see tomorrow. I don't like that lyric. So anyway, uh, I wasn't sure where that was going to go, but some people wondered why did I do it. Why? And I said I did it because I just want this all to stop. I, I just, I don't want internet trolls. I, I don't want people hassling me in real life or attacking Poker Fraud Alert in some way or posting family information. I just want it to stop. I, I just don't want to be part of that. I don't want to harass you. I don't want you to harass me. I want it to just be done. And, uh, you know, that's that's not why I'm here on these forums. That's not why I do this. I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy dealing with situations like that. Some people think it's fun for me to, to argue like this. Not. I, I don't, you know, I like having a healthy debate with people, but not, not fighting about, um, you know, you posting my info and me posting your info and, uh, you know, you getting back at me and me getting back at you. It's very stressful. I don't want that crap. I'm, I'm 42 years old. I don't want that crap. So, so basically, after a few days of this, I, I was basically putting out the message, look, I'm doing this defensively. I want just everything to stop. If you guys are going to quit everything you're doing, I'll quit everything I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm not going to tell you how I got in there, but I, you know, I, all I'm doing this for is just because I'd like you to leave me alone. I'd like you to leave me be. Let me do my radio show every week. Let me post on my forum. Let me uh, just uh, go on living, and you go on living too, and we just won't bother each other. And um, to some people's surprise, that looks like what's going to happen. So I'm not uh, doing this segment here to gloat, but actually to say that it's a relief off my shoulders that the years of this is is probably over. Because I didn't enjoy it. And if if it really is over now, I think it's good, and I hope that the people who want this to be over, like I do, um, some of whom, you know, are, are successful in their careers and who otherwise have normal lives. Uh, you know, it, it's just when you do something like this, when you're trolling someone on the Internet and it goes beyond just name calling and you're you're uh, posting their family information and uh, harassing their site and trying to SEO their name with terrible things. All you're doing is putting your energy into destructiveness that only causes negativity. And then when they get mad at you for doing it, they do it back to you, then you suffer too. And the net result is everyone suffers. It's one of these situations where everyone loses. And that's why I'm glad it seems that it's being realized now by these people that everyone loses from this sort of situation and that it will stop. And everybody can go on with their lives and uh, do positive things 
with themselves and have more positive interactions on the net, or if it is negative interactions, that it's truly going after the the ones who deserve it. You know, the scammers, the um, you know, the pedophiles, and the other people who really are deserving of internet wrath. So, just wanted to mention that since it was such a huge part of the forum, but just to mention it in a way that I hope it really is over. And if it is, I'm glad. And I hope you're glad too, if you're one of those people. Uh, I'm getting a, a message here from TMMLK. You wouldn't worry so much what people thought of you if you knew how seldom they did. Druff busting, obviously. Last 10K chunked off. Jeez. Team MLK, I guarantee you think about me more than I think about you. I guarantee you. Guarantee. Wasn't my last 10K chunked off either. But I have a feeling, Team MLK, if you played, it would be your last 10K. Your first and last 10K. All right, let me uh, move on away from the forum topics. Uh, in about half an hour, we're going to have on Michael Borowitz, a.k.a. PSU Mike1999, who scammed people at airports. Not allegedly. Actually did scam people at airports this year, 2014. Uh, in fact, uh, as recently as last month, scammed people at Las Vegas McCarran, scammed people at LAX, scammed people in Philadelphia. Uh, all to get poker buy-ins and money that he would lose in the pit. And we're going to have him on the show to explain why he did that and why you shouldn't hate him for doing that. That'll be at 9.15. Right now it's 8.37. Let's uh, skip over to the topic of the Nevada Online Poker Rooms merging. Maybe. Uh, Nevada has approved a proposal, the Nevada Gaming Control Board. The proposal was actually by the representatives of 888 Holdings, which they run the WSOP.com software, that all of the competitors could join together on one network. Because right now that cannot be done in Nevada. Right now, if you run an online poker in Nevada, room in Nevada, you cannot have the same player pool as other sites. In New Jersey, it's allowed. In Nevada, it's not. Now, Nevada, because it has a smaller population than New Jersey, has a pretty dead group of poker sites. Even WSOP.com, which is the most successful of the sites, is fairly dead, especially at the middle and upper limits. And it will really die when the World Series is over. In fact, we're already getting close to the World Series being over. Most people have gone home already. So, the idea here would be to put more traffic in one spot. Now, why would they want that? Why would any room want to share players with other rooms? So let me tell you the problem. A poker room needs a whole lot of players to be viable. 
Why? Because most people don't want to just sit and wait at their game of choice. Most people don't want to just sit down and say, okay, I want to play uh, 1530 Limit Hold'em. Oh, there's nobody playing? Oh, no problem. I'll sit there by myself and wait for four hours till someone sits down. Most people do not want to do that, especially fish. They really don't want to do that. So usually if you open up an online poker room and see all zeros for the games you want to play, you close the software. So you need enough people logged into the software at once to congregate in the same games to where games get going. Basically, when a game runs, it attracts other players. Nothing attracts players more than existing games. So by combining these rooms, you're going to have a much bigger player pool, not much bigger, but bigger, a bigger player pool, and presumably more games running, and then presumably fewer people who open the software see nothing running that they want to play and close it. So I think it's a good idea. Uh, They'll have to come up with a way to share the rake and all that, but uh, uh, this has been approved by the Nevada Gaming Control Board. Tentatively. It hasn't been officially approved, but it's been tentatively approved, and hopefully... This will come to pass, and uh, the Nevada online poker situation will improve, because right now it's pretty sad. For example, right now, not right this moment, but for like the last week or so, the seven-day average of cash game players on WSOP.com is a whopping 160 (laughs) <laughs> you say, oh, that's not bad 160,000 players? No, no, no 160 Period 160 players is their average Of people online playing cash That's awful That's awful So they, they really need to do something And Ultimate Poker is even more of a ghost town That's That's really dead In fact, I heard a rumor I heard a rumor that some people have quit Ultimate Poker recently, that a person was fired from Ultimate Poker recently. So they're not doing well. They need to find a solution, and this would be one. And there's no reason not to, because none of these sites are tearing it up, and the players don't really care what site their opponents are playing from. They just care there's someone to play with. Well, speaking of merging, the Merge Network, and this shows you how thin the options are getting if you don't want to play in a legalized online poker room. A a question I get frequently is, what online poker room should I play if I don't have access to one of the legal ones? And I say, there really is not a good option. Well, this shows you how bad it's getting. The Merge Network which is mainly carbon poker these days, has said that they are discontinuing their VIP program as of July 14th, four days from now. If you have existing VIP points on carbon poker, they're basically going to be lost. The only thing they get converted to is what's called player points, which can only be used to clear bonuses. So if you don't have bonuses already, uh, they're not going to do any good. After July 14th, you will not be able to exchange these VIP points for cash or for tournament entries like you used to. So effectively, they're just ending rakeback. 
Here is their brief statement about it. We have made some changes to how our VIP points function. Starting July 15th, VIP points will be called player points and are only used as a tool to clear, to clear bonuses and track promotions. Players will have until July 14th, 2014 to redeem their points to buy into tournaments. Players can expect to see bigger promotions and exciting tournaments that will create huge value and benefits for them in the coming months. <laughs> right. right. Players can expect big promotions and exciting benefits. Yeah, yeah just except no rakeback. I'm sure the players are excited about that one. So obviously the players are very unhappy about this. And uh, this is really looking bad for Merge. Because they know that if they're pissing off their grinders like this, a lot of them are just going to leave. There are a lot of people who need this rake back in order to survive on the site. Some people are really only making money thanks to the rake back. So if that's going to happen, then everyone's going to leave. So if they're doing this, this is really a sign like they're broke. This is really a sign like they can't even afford to give this rake back. I I think it's dumb. But uh, nevertheless, they seem to feel that's what they need to do. Now, it's true the original rakeback model was flawed. This is the way the rakeback model came to be, in case you're wondering. In case you're wondering, how am I getting rakeback? How did, how did I get rakeback? Why do sites give rakeback rather than just charging less rake? Well, this is the way it happened. Uh, originally, there was no rakeback back in the early 2000s. Uh, rakeback was a mid-2000s invention. And this happened because they had affiliates who would get people over to these sites, and if people would sign up for these sites and deposit real money and then rake real money, then the affiliates, the way they would get paid, is getting a percentage of the rake of the person they referred. Well, it didn't take long for these affiliates, who had pretty heavy competition, to realize that the way they can get people to sign up with them instead of other affiliates is by passing along some of that commission back to the customer. So they started passing more and more of their commission until eventually they were passing a very large percentage of their commission. Maybe they'd be getting 30% commission, they'd be giving 27 back to the player. And they had to do that in order to compete with the other affiliates. Some sites just said, screw it, we're just going to give the rake back directly to the player and pay the affiliate directly and that's that, because now everyone expects rake back. So rake back became to be an expected thing. And if you don't have it, people just kind of feel funny about not having it and get pissed off. Part of this is because the rake is very high online compared to what it should be. Rake online should not be as high as rake in brick and mortar because it's much cheaper to run an online poker room than it is a brick and mortar poker room. Uh, I have something that uh, I have to give an update for. Something that's Mildly upsetting to me. You may not care, though. (laughs) 
I was hoping I'd get to see Clayton Kershaw break Earl Hershiser's record, even though I like Earl Hershiser. In fact, interviewed him on another radio show I used to do. But uh, I was hoping he would set the record of uh, scoreless innings. But uh, he had 41 straight scoreless innings, and Chase Headley, of all people, hit a home run off of him. So that's the end of Kershaw's streak at 41 innings. Someone in the chat saying, thank God he doesn't play that song too loud anymore, that ESPN song. Yeah, you listen, I listen to the comments from the listeners. And if you don't want the sound effects too loud, I will turn them down. And I have turned them down. I don't want to blow out your ears. All right. So, uh, yeah, the Merge Network, they're, they're stupid. They're in trouble. Uh, I wouldn't deposit any money on there. I think the elimination of Rakeback is a very bad sign. I don't have any independent information that they are going to go broke or are broke, but uh, when rooms start really, really tightening their belts like that, there's usually a reason for it. And, of course, they are operating afoul of U.S. law, and it's hard for them to process payments in and out. And that costs them a lot of money to use these shady payment processors. Yeah, someone mentioning in chat they listen with headphones. I kind of understand this because, like, you really are kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't with this show. If you listen on headphones, then I blow out your ears with sound effects. And if you don't listen with headphones, then the sound effects don't hurt your ears, but uh, then you hear obscene things said by the callers or the guests. So, can't really win. Cannot win with this show. All right, uh... I guess I'm going to move on to my editorials and then I will call PSU Mike 1999 at 9.15. reason I'm waiting till 9.15 to call him is because he can't make it till then. So check out our text we received at 702-623-1423 from the 704 area code, loving the jam, referring to the opening song. At least someone liked it. For the 773 area code, shout out to Scotty No. I can't get behind that one. And the guy from the 815, instead of talking about his boner like he does every single week, just said, can I have a hat druff? And the answer is yes. You know, for, for texting me every week saying that you have a boner, I'm going to give you a hat. I'm not even kidding. I'm going to give this guy a hat. So let me tell you what happened with Kev Math. Kev Math, who can be found on Twitter at twitter.com slash kev. M-A-T-H, exactly as it sounds, Math stands for Kevin Mathers, which is his name. Uh, Kev Math is a very big fan of poker. It's the best way to describe him. He's a poker mega fan. He is someone who pays attention to every detail in poker. He is someone who is smart enough to understand what we as poker players or poker fans want to see and want to read about. He has a very popular Twitter where he constantly tweets out useful information, whether it's tournament updates, whether it's interesting poker stories, whether it's retweeting interesting poker stories or interesting situations. He has tweeted out or retweeted many stories or threads on poker fraud alerts that he thinks are of interest to the general poker public. I always take it like a badge of honor when Kevmath retweets something that I tweet or tweets out a poker fraud alert thread. I really do. And he has like 20-something thousand followers. 
I also don't know of anyone who dislikes Kev Math. I mentioned before I have enemies, and that's because I, I'm very outspoken. Uh, I, I state my opinion all the time, even if it's controversial. Um, I will approach things sometimes that uh, in, in a manner where I don't care if people like or dislike me. But Kev Math isn't like that. He's soft-spoken. He's non-controversial. He's someone who just passes on useful information, and who could have any problem with that? So everyone likes Kev Math, and he was rewarded with a job finally. He was doing all this for free, by the way, but he was finally awarded with a job, or rewarded with a job, at Bluff, which is also where Seriously Serious works. Also someone who deserved a job at uh, Poker Media. And his job at Bluff, much like what he was doing voluntarily, does not involve any sort of controversy or writing opinion pieces or covering anything of, that's controversial. He just, uh, he's kind of like a fact checker. You know, he's, he's, he's just a, a guy who passes along facts or interesting stories. That's all he does. Well, an individual named Earl Burton on July 8th wrote an editorial, and I, I haven't told you yet why. Kev Math got bought in to the World Series of Poker main event by a few big-name players, Daniel Negreanu, Daniel Alai, some, some people who liked Kev Math and felt that he deserved it. So he was staked into it with some kind of generous staking offer that was meant to reward him for everything he's done for poker for all these years. So this is what Earl Burton wrote in an editorial. One of the major complaints about poker journalism has been that journalists who cover the game are too close to the subjects they cover. The criticism exploded over the Absolute Poker UB Superuser scandal all the way through the collapse of the original Full Tilt Poker in 2011. Instead of trying to make for unbiased outlook on the game, something that, may, that many in the poker community have cried out for, a situation at the 2014 World Series of Poker Championship event shows that seemingly nothing has changed. On day 1C of the tournament, Bluff Magazine journalist and, to be honest, poker expert Kevin Kevmath Mathers was bought into the event, but not on his own dime. Players led by Daniel Alai and Daniel Negreanu pitched in money until the 10000 buy-in was reached. This purchase was detailed on Bluff's website in all of its apparent glory. There's an inherent problem in this, however. Journalists from any field are, are not supposed to accept gifts such as this when they could pr profit from it. They aren't supposed to accept gifts that, in an unfortunate circumstance in the future, would bias their coverage in the future. They aren't supposed to become part of the story. They are supposed to report the story. Let me tell you what's wrong with what this guy's saying. Kev Math is not a journalist who covers controversial stories. He's not a person who decides whether to write something good or bad about someone. He's not someone who writes op-ed pieces. He is someone who either retweets or publicizes any story that's of interest or passes on facts that are non-controversial such as a uh, tournament info and stuff like that. He also does this on his own time. This is not his job to do it. This stuff he does on his own. In fact, I even asked him about it when I saw him at the series this year, before this editorial was written, actually. So, 
he's the last one you'd have to worry about being biased. First of all, I don't believe he would be, but even if he was, it wouldn't matter because he's not doing anything where a bias would matter. He has a job where a bias does not matter. So this is just stupid. This is just attacking this for no reason. And the hypocritical thing about this article is it's on a site called NevadaPokerReviews.com. NevadaPokerReviews.com. Now, what do you think that site is? Do you think NevadaPokerReviews.com is just a, a nonprofit site that is nice enough to review poker in Nevada for free? Of course not. It's an affiliate site. And it's an affiliate site that actually, I don't know if it's this specific site, but I know that someone associated with the site was actually defending AP and UB during those scandals. Not this guy Burton in particular, but this site actually has plenty of uh, skeletons in its closet, the ownership behind this site. So of all sites to be complaining about someone being biased... The ones who were the most biased during all the scandals were the affiliates. The affiliates were the worst because there was cheating proven on AP, there was cheating proven on UB, and yet they are still directing people over there. Not anymore, but they were directing people to these sites despite the fact that they knew cheating was going on. They didn't warn anyone because they wanted to make money. Same with Lock Poker. So many affiliates still directing people to Lock Poker despite knowing that they're not paying anyone. So... Not only is this a stupid editorial, but it's hypocritical. But if you're given a gift by people in the poker community for something you do on in your own spare time, they're not giving him a gift because of the work he does at Bluff. They're giving him a gift based upon what he does in his spare time. And, truthfully, even if they were giving it based upon what he does at Bluff, his job at Bluff has nothing to do with anything that could really be changed by a bias. So this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. It's Earl Burton. I don't think he hates Kev Math. I think he just uh, found something he wanted to whine about and thought he would get uh, some attention. And he did get attention, just not the right kind. I have no problem with the staking of Kev Math. I think he's done a lot for poker. I think he deserves it. And if poker players want to get together and put a generous staking package together for him to reward him for what he's done for the community on his own, great. I think that's a nice thing. I think we need more of that in poker, and we shouldn't have people criticizing it. If you find anything that Kevmath has done wrong, or you find that he is treating someone with favor or bias that has arranged this, then feel free to report it. But I don't see that happening. And he's not even really positioned to do that. The only other controversy about Kevmath was a little while ago when it was criticized that he didn't retweet a certain story about Jay Noonan, who was stealing the tips from Foxwoods. And I defended him then, too, saying, look, he can retweet what he wants. If he was friends with a guy, uh, he doesn't want to dance on the guy's grave. He may think that Jay Noonan was wrong, but at the same time, he doesn't want to uh, stab someone who he's friends with in the back. So... I didn't see Kev Math defending him. Kev Math just wasn't one of the people who was promoting this story. But he can promote what he wants. It's his own Twitter. He's not expected to promote every story that you want him to promote. He promotes the stories that he feels are of interest to him because it's his own personal Twitter. So I, th- I think all the Kev Math hate 
There hasn't been much of it, but the little of it we've had recently has been totally unjustified. But I think most people see that. The only hate that's been justified against him was my hate for ignoring me in the hallways, but we've, uh, we've taken care of that. The PLOL is complaining that uh, Kev Math doesn't retweet him anymore when he used to. He's also complaining I didn't read his uh, text to me. Yeah, the phone number is 702-623-1423, and I have not gotten your text, PLOL. So maybe that explains why I've had such a sharp drop in text messages since I switched to this new phone number. Maybe the phone number has a problem. Huh. I'll have to test this out. Maybe I will have to get a new phone number for texting. Because I did not get your text there, PLOL. All right, uh, 15 minutes until the call to Michael Borovitz, so I will do my second editorial. And that's about expanding the World Series. Now, the World Series is quite long. It begins at the end of May, it ends in the middle of July, and then you still have a few more days. You play in November to finish off the main event. So why on earth would I say that a tournament that lasts seven weeks, the longest tournament series in the world, why would I say that needs to be longer, not shorter? Why would I say that 65 events is not enough? Well, this came to mind this year when the debate came up on Twitter between me and a few other Limit players and tournament director Jack Effel. Jack Heffel was saying that he loves Limit Hold'em. It's his favorite game, but there just isn't much room on the schedule for it anymore. 65 events, and Jack Heffel feels that two Limit Hold'em events, one $1,500 and one $10K, are all they can really squeeze in. And I'm thinking, wow, here we have people that so badly want to play a six-max Limit Hold'em, and others who so badly want to play the Limit Hold'em shootout. And then we have others who want more deep stack events. You saw the one deep stack event they had got 8,000 people. Imagine if they had more of these. They wouldn't get 8,000 for all of them, but they would do very, very well. The deep stack was a huge success. So if the people are coming, why is the World Series turning them away? Why is the World Series not offering tournaments that people want to play? And the only answer is that they feel that they have limited time and limited space and that they have to hold the tournaments they feel will be best for the players and will be best for their corporation in making money. But why are they restricting it to seven weeks? If you will get a lot of people coming for nine weeks, why not have that? If it for, for 11 weeks, if it'll do very well, why not have 11 weeks? Now, at some point, it gets ridiculous. You're not going to have a six-month World Series of Poker where half the year is the World Series. Then it loses its... It, there's nothing special about it anymore. But at the same time, you can extend it by a few weeks and get in some of those events that you canceled that people still want to play and then have more tournaments like additional monster stacks and you will get people showing up for them. If you are running tournaments that are routinely getting 2,500 people, 2,000 people, others are getting 6,000, 8,000 people, you definitely have room 
to add tournaments that will also get a nice uh, a nice attendance. One problem they have with the Rio is space. They are now using pretty much every available room in that convention center for the poker tournaments and whatever else they're running there, such as cash games and satellites. In fact, they actually are having to start people in tournaments outside the Buzio's restaurant. That's where Suicide King from Poker Fraud Alert started his main event, was at Buzio's. <laughs> he wasn't very happy about that. Uh, other people are put in other weird spots, like the regular Rio poker tournament room. But they have every room open. They have every space that they can use in the Rio for these tournaments, and they just don't have enough room. That's why they have to do these split starting days. But they don't have to do it at the Rio. And if they want to still do it at the Rio, they can split the World Series where certain events take place in one of their hotels and certain events take place elsewhere. They have a lot of room in Caesars, for example. In fact, Caesars actually has more room for the tournaments. They have a lot of convention rooms in Caesars. The problem is that I don't think they have the parking in Caesars. I don't think they don't have the giant lots like the Rio has. Uh, basically, Caesars has one big parking structure and that's it. So I don't know if the Caesars structure could hold all the people who want to go there for the World Series plus all the people that are going just because it's Caesars. So I think that's why they're hesitating on it. But I think if they were to hold certain tournaments at Caesars concurrently with tournaments running at the Rio, I think they could make it happen and get a very good attendance. So I think if they expanded the World Series to be on two sites and if they made it run longer, then they really could have a wider variety of events. They could have more deep stack events. They could bring back canceled events and they could make a ton of money that they're currently leaving on the table. Basically, my message to Caesars here, my message to them is quite simple. It's something that's been said before. It's something that I'm going to say again. It's something that applies very much to this situation. And that message simply is... Yeah, if you build it, we will come. I sincerely believe that. And you know what? At least try it one year. If you don't want to split it to two sites, if that's too tough, if it's going to introduce too many logistical problems, which Lord knows Caesars has plenty of issues with that already, um, then at least try expanding it by two weeks. Make it nine weeks instead of seven. I, I'm sure you will make more money. At some point, it will be... Uh, the law of diminishing returns. But I don't think we're at that point yet. I really believe that there is enough interest in the World Series that there are many more events that you guys could be offering and would be played. That's why the whole way through, 65 events, other than those like really big 10K events, you're getting uh, 
good attendance, especially at these $1,500 buy-in no-limit events. All right, so provided that Michael Borovich shows up and he's uh, texting me right now, I see that little dot, dot, dot on my phone that he's writing to me. I'm saying I'm going to call him in 10 minutes. Provided that, uh, I I think he is. Provided that he is around in 10 minutes, then we will call him up. And yeah, Danny Deadwood, in referring to what I was just talking about, said, yeah, I have several millionaire makers. Exactly. People love the millionaire maker. People love the deep stack. Have a few of these. Like, you'll make so much money. Why are they not doing this? Why do they only have one millionaire maker? Why are they only having one deep stack? Do they really think that people only want to play one deep stack that they otherwise don't like deep stacks. It has to be like a special thing once a year. No. What about the millionaire make? You think nobody wants to make a million dollars just because someone else made a million dollars earlier in the year? Of course not. China maniac suggesting maybe a heads up limit hold'em event. Yeah. Anyway, at 9.15, we will call Michael Borovich. If we reach him, then great. If not, I'm going to shut down the show. Uh, I'll be honest tonight. The reason I'm short on time is because uh, Benjamin's mom is sick, and I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision. Do I do this show after I've delayed it at the last minute for two days in a row, do I dare delay the audience the third day in a row? Or do I do the show and stick her with Benjamin despite the fact that she's sick? So I decided the latter because I have my priorities straight. All right, while we're waiting for 9.15, SimpDog saying, Druff, can you... Quickly talk about taking kids to Vegas. Is there enough shit for kids to do? That's an interesting question because I have a kid. And here's the answer. First of all, it depends on the kid's age. Um, Age 5 to 10, he's saying. Okay. There are things to do in Vegas for kids. Uh, It also depends on the season. It's much better in the summer or in the spring or early fall when they can go swimming. In the winter, it's not very good because it's uh, it's too cold. I mean, compared to where you are in Canada, it's it's probably not cold, but it's really not swimming weather. So they do like to go to the pools there. Benjamin always enjoys that. Um... You can find these little shows and things to, for the kids to see. You know, they're like walking around the Bellagio Garden. They're like walking around that uh, um, and seeing things like that uh, volcano in front of the Mirage, if that's even still there. I don't even look for that thing anymore. Um, whatever. There's a number of like those general tourist attractions which appeal to kids too. Of course, you can't forget Circus Circus, which I used to love in the 70s. It's not the same as it was in the 70s. In the 70s, it wasn't run down like it is now. But Circus Circus is, of course, very much aimed at kids. It's got all those little carnival games there. Uh, They have the free circus acts. That's somewhere you can always take them. I I avoid Circus Circus because I think it's trash. But uh, the truth is, 
it can still be interesting for kids. Uh, they have roller coasters like at New York, New York, um, and arcades, and it depends on what your kids are into. Uh, one thing I will say that you should watch out for is that it is difficult to get childcare in Las Vegas. The hotels charge you a fortune for babysitting. So unless you want to just get gouged big time for babysitting, you have to either bring some other relatives to watch the kids when the adults go out, or you're just going to be stuck with the kids the whole time. Now, if your kids are old enough, you can leave them in the room by themselves. But, you know, it's funny. Over the years, parents have gotten more cautious with this stuff, and parents are afraid to leave the kids alone, which wasn't the case back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, babysitters off of Craigslist. That sounds like a, there's someone saying that in the chat. That sounds like a wonderful idea. <laughs> what can go wrong with that? Maybe hire a man off Craigslist to take care of your kids. That's even better. But, uh, yeah, I remember back, uh, back in the 70s and 80s, you know, parents were leaving their kids in the room all the time. I don't mean little, little kids, but I mean kids that are, 10 years old, 8 years old, and they'd leave them in the room and they'd be fine. That sounds crazy today, but back in those days, that was very common. And now no one wants to do that. But uh, someone saying in chat, it's probably cheaper to hire Craigslist hookers and leave them in the room. That might be true. Sadly, that probably is true. It probably is cheaper to hire a hooker to watch your kids than to uh, hire Caesar's Palace to have a babysitter come do it. And the funny thing is you'll probably have the same hooker uh, working, watching them either way. So that's one thing to watch out for in Vegas. And I I was just too Jewish to pay for it. Like when I would ask how much it costs to watch my kid, I'm like, I found out. I was like, oh, my God, forget it. I'm, I'm not doing it. It was like $20 an hour or something outrageous like that. I said, no. No. So I think that's the biggest problem with having kids with you. Is having someone watching them. As far as finding things to do, you can. There's also the, in Circus Circus, as mentioned before, there's the Adventure Dome. Which you can actually enter for free and then you know pay as you go. So yeah, you'll find things. I'm fortunate in that Benjamin, who's three years old, he actually can find fun in pretty much everything. He can find fun in going to the store. So you take him anywhere new, he doesn't get bored. He finds something interesting. But I know not all kids are like that, and maybe he won't be like that when he gets older. Um, let's see if we can call PSU Mike. It's 914. I'll call him a minute early. (laughs) We can't reach him. Then I'll shut it down. Oh, here, I got some text. Some text just came in here. Uh... 
from the 813. Can you ask PSU Mike, what is your favorite airport to scam at and why? (laughs) That's from PLOL. I guess I did get it. I try to call him up. I will ask him that, though. I'll ask him what was his favorite airport to scam at. Why not? I think it's a good question. We get to ask the hard-hitting questions on this show. Hmm. That's weird. I just tried to call him. It's a call failed, but I've been texting with him at this number, so I know it's good. Try it again. What if he hasn't been scamming enough lately and he got his phone disconnected? Maybe he can't maybe he can't pay the bills from not enough scams. Maybe maybe he hasn't been near an airport recently. There we go. Hi, I'm not here right now. Please leave your name, number, and a message. I, I thought that was him answering. I hear like I hear it pick up. I hear the pause. I'm waiting for hello as I hear hi. I'm like, oh, hi, Mike. I can't run here right now to answer the phone. Like, ah. Well, I'll give it a few more minutes. If he doesn't come on, I'll end the show and we'll do it next week. Uh, again, sorry for the short show this week. But honestly, it was that or nothing because I, I'd been delaying it day after day here and uh, didn't want to delay it one more day. And... I told Benjamin's mom that I wouldn't do a really long show. But hey, we covered all the topics anyway, and I don't think I really skimped on anything. I just kind of rambled less. Yeah, the, the, the scammer scammed me with his appearance on the show. That's that's a good way to get back at me. I'm like promoting it the whole show. He tells me he'll be there 9.15, so I go through the whole show talking about it, and then he doesn't show up. Like I, I feel like I'm at the airport right now. I'm getting... Junk messages from TMMLK. Well, TMMLK, uh, go ahead and uh, call in if you want. I, I guess I'll take any call at this point. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. Someone saying, uh, page him over the PA system at the airport. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. So... I really wanted to hear from him, and this was his idea. I didn't I didn't pressure him to be on this show. He came to me and said, hey, I want to be on the show. I said, okay, you can come on. Now, to be fair, he did tell me that uh, he's traveling and he won't be able to go on until after 9.15. So I said, that's fine, I'll call after 9.15. He said, okay. But whenever everyone says, when someone says I can't be on until after this time, and you call him like right at this time, you often will miss him. And I thought he was texting me, but he wasn't. I see Mark Newhouse has 630000 in the main event after doing very well last year. So good luck to him. Uh, did I know PSU Mike 1999 before all of this happened? I didn't know him, but I interacted with him on... Uh, 2 plus 2, and that's simply because I had an interest in threads having to do with scams over there for our, just because I like commenting on that stuff. And he had an interest in those threads too, so we happened to run in the same threads over there, but for different reasons. I don't think he was using those threads to scam anyone. I just think the subject's interesting to him probably because he does it. 
I'm going to ask him that too. Like, why are you attracted to scammer-related threads? Why did you even start a scammer-related thread about someone scamming at the Rio if you're a scammer yourself? Because, like, that's that's really what makes me wonder about the guy is, like, how do you start a thread on 2 plus 2 saying, look at this piece of shit floor man scamming players when you know you're scamming people? Like, even if it's totally separate, even if you're totally right about the guy who's been scamming people at the Rio who works there, like, if you know you're a big scammer yourself, like, don't you have something that goes in your head saying, maybe I'm kind of being a hypocrite posting about this? All right, we'll try one more time. Is someone asking if he knows JSIP? Imagine putting this guy and JSIP together. They could rule the world. Get a ring here. Is it going to ring? Is it going to ring? No ring? There we go. I like the old days better on the phone. You just call up and you hear like... And then you hear that like in the background. I'm not talking about the touch tones. I'm talking about like the... Hi, I'm not here, right? Yeah, uh, so this sounds like a fairly quick voice. It's not first ring voicemail, but it's it's either he's ignoring my call, or the phone can't be located and it gives it like two rings to find it. It's kind of like when that Malaysian Flight 370 disappeared. There was a lot of talk about the cell phone calls. People tried to call relatives who were on that flight, and it didn't go straight to voicemail. It would like ring a few times and go to voicemail, and people wondered. Well, why is that? If the if the thing crashed into the ocean and the phone was broken, uh, why would it ring a few times? Why wouldn't it just go straight to voicemail? And people were citing that as evidence that the plane had been abducted and everyone was alive somewhere. But then it was brought up that it can actually ring on the caller's end where it's actually just looking for the phone on the network and can't find it. So it's very possible he's like on a plane somewhere. Maybe he's on Malaysian Flight 371. So uh, I I guess Willie McFML is not uh, having the best time of things. He went from uh, 340K or so down to 47, which is pretty low at this point. But he did double up to 93. So he's definitely still short-stacked, but good luck to him hanging on. Just remember, Willie, I was short-stacked or semi-short-stacked for almost six full days in 2010, and I finished 88th and was a race away from having above-average chips. So good luck to you. I really hope you do it. Well, I don't think we're going to be reaching Michael Borovitz tonight for whatever reason. I'd like to thank those of you that listened to the show and uh, those of you that donated to the free roll. And we will be back next week on Tuesday night, just five days from now at our regular time, 6.30 p.m. So, better late than ever with this show. And I try to get on every week, even if it's not convenient for me, or even if I have to pawn a child onto 
a sick woman to watch him. I will make this show go on. I'd like to thank our guest this evening, Marty, a.k.a. Tide, a.k.a. Judong. Thank you for coming on and telling us your story with the police over there in Oregon. I do think you got a raw deal, but I also think at the same time that uh, you could have shown some more restraint and not gotten in the situation in the first place. I, I, I can understand, believe me, that you don't want to just let cops abuse you, but sometimes you just have to say that's the way it is and uh, try to create as little confrontation as possible, otherwise you cause yourself just way too much hassle. And to any new listeners to this show or people who haven't listened in a long time, we must have some of them because the live numbers were highest tonight of any time in the show's recent history, so thank you for joining me. I hope you'll come back next week on Tuesday. Thank you again to the people who donated to the free roll, and I will try to see what I can do about fixing this text number. It's not working all that well. These delayed texts and missing texts is just a mess. It's a mess, damn it. But I will try to get it fixed, and any suggestions you have for the show, feel free to post them on the forum or email me, dandruffatpokerfrontalert.com. You can tell me the things you like, things you don't like about the show, and I do listen to what you have to say and do take all comments seriously. So I'm doing this show for the listeners. I'm doing this for all of you to enjoy, and if you guys don't like it, then I'm doing something wrong and I'll want to change it. But I know I can't please everybody. Good night, everybody. I will see you in five days. Hopefully feel a little bit better about my main event bust out by then. And good night. Shalom.